Well, at least I'm not going to hell. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 77 of the Superhouse Podcast. This is Andrew, as always, and we have Brent Baker in Superhouse today. Maddie and Stefan will be joining us very soon, but um, let's get right to the interview. So, um, Brent, uh, uh, I was wondering if you could tell us, we're going to start from the beginning, so Uh (laughs) Um, where are you from? Uh, well, I'm a native Californian. I grew up in, Cal- uh, in Garden Grove. Okay. And uh, what do you do for a living? I make monsters for a living. What does that mean exactly, though? You do one particular thing, right? I, I am a mold maker in the special effects makeup Could you explain business. what mold making is? Sure. Uh, basically, there's a lot of different steps uh, when you're creating a creature, whether it be a makeup or a guy in a suit or a puppet. And uh, it starts with design and then it uh, gets sculpted, whatever that may be. And the sculpture comes into the mold shop and we mold it using a ton of different materials. It could be anything, uh, depending on what the final product is gonna be. And we make the molds and the mold is what you pull the final piece out of. Okay, cool. And what? why'd you go in that direction? Why not, why not something else? Why not sculpting yeah, or whatever? That's a good question. Um, there wasn't, I don't know that there was a master plan. I just, I wanted to make monsters from a really early age. And I was lucky enough on my first job, which was a little film called Gremlins Mm -hmm. to, um, and at at that point I had on my own done a little bit of everything. I sculpted, I was leaning towards being a sculptor. Everybody getting into the business wants to be a sculptor. Okay. That's just, that's the... That's like being the lead singer. You know? Right. That's what everybody wants to do. Right. And so I'd done some sculpting, but <laughs> for being a 19 year old kid on my first job, uh, I wasn't definitely wasn't good enough to, you know, to be a sculptor on that show. And I guess I'd, I already kind of liked mold making. I like the, I was described as like alchemy. Okay. Turning, you're turning this thing that's clay and then you do your process and then what comes out of it is you know plastic or foam and and you're kind of helping transition this thing from a kind of a raw form into a finished form and back then luckily on a show like gremlins we had months and months and months to make the stuff it's never enough time but it was quite a long schedule and so they could teach me and train me Mm. and show me what to do and that was just the niche i fell into i did actually do some sculpting on that i sculpted a pair of, of gizmo's hands okay yeah. nice and um <laughs> you know for the next couple of jobs i still kind of tried to keep my hand in so to speak and sculpt when i could but before too long and especially once i moved down to la and i saw the level of work that was required to really be a sculptor it was like i'll never i, I could i could work at it every day and mm-hmm. i would never be more than like a medium talent but i thought if i stuck to mold making um maybe i could do better than that and i'd get really good at it and if you're really good at any one of the um parts of the job you know sculptor obviously 
you know, if you're really good, if you become known as a really good mold maker or a painter or a mechanic, you will always find work. So nice. So you said you're 19, right? I was 19. So you basically graduated high school <coughs> more down or less. here. Yeah. And went straight into the business. And the Gremlins, a big AAA movie at the time. That was your first was. gig? Or? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Well, I had actually, I'd worked on a local production uh, in the Bay Area called Dracula's Disciple. Okay. And I learned about that by watching the local uh, late night monster movie show called Creature Features. Okay. And they used to have guests on. And they had these young guys on, filmmakers who were making this horror movie. And they just said, we're looking for anybody. You know, <laughs> they'd, they'd already been doing it for a while. Right. I think two or three years at that point. That's like, we need anybody, everybody, you know, if you do special effects, if you do this, if you do that. So it's like, well, I do. <laughs> Being an idiot, of course, I thought I did do special effects. <laughs> I didn't know anything. <laughs> uh, but I got a hold of them and it's like, yeah, come on board. And <laughs> the one thing they said when they, quote, hired me was that they'd already had some other guy doing their makeup effects. And uh, but he had gotten again, this is the Bay Area. He had gotten some job in L.A., and he had just split and just okay. kind of left him high and dry. Uh -huh. So he said, we want to make sure that you're really committed and that you'll, you know, you'll stick it out. That's like, oh, yeah, man, I will. Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> so about a year later, uh, I got the job at Chris Wallace, who did Gremlins. They never heard from me again. Okay. As far as they were concerned, I just disappeared, <laughs> um, which was kind of a jerk thing to do. But um, so, yeah, but. In reality, Dracula's Disciple never got finished or released. So, oh, really? yeah, Gremlins was my first real job. Well, that was, <laughs> it sucks to say, but I mean, that's, that was kind of the move to make at the time, right? I'm sorry, it was kind of what? It's kind of the move to make as far as. Well, it, it yeah, it was. And it wasn't like, you know, it was not paid. They, you know, they got together because everybody had real jobs. And they, these were just guys who just wanted to make a film. And they had a lot of drive. But again, they'd already been doing it for two years, at least two years. And I was with them off and on for about a year. Right. And it was just taking incremental steps. It wasn't like they had a shop mm -hmm. and I was going to work every day. Right. You know, you're just kind of doing it whenever. And um, so, yeah, it wasn't like a, <laughs> I wasn't worried about making a bad career decision. Okay. And one great thing that came out of it was I met this other kid who had joined up with them in the same way I did. Uh, named Howie Weed, okay. and he's been my best friend okay. ever since then, so okay. for like 35 years. So, And he's done pretty well for himself, too. He's also a mold maker or what? No, he's done even better for himself. Um, he worked with me at uh, – I helped get him a job at Chris Wallace's, mm -hmm. and so he worked on Gremlins and the shows that came after that. And he stayed up there when I moved to L.A., and he kept on with Chris Wallace for a while, and he got work at ILM and worked when they had a creature department. <laughs> and he stayed with ILM for a while. And around the time Jurassic Park came out, not long after that, uh, he and a lot of people kind of saw the writing on the wall. And ILM was offering classes and learning digital stuff. Oh, right. So he moved into that. And that was one of the main modelers. Oh, okay. Up at ILM. Okay. So they allowed them to transfer over like that. Yeah. Then they did. Okay. Because it was so new. Right. Okay. So what movies or shows did you watch growing up that <sighs> made you want to make monsters to begin with? That's pretty easy. Fortunately, when I was a kid, um, my dad really liked movies. 
So we went to the movies all the time. And of course, being a typical kid back then, uh, watch TV all the time. <laughs> and I don't know how, I, I can't say what it was that maybe grab, how do you, what is it that makes you like monsters? I don't know. You know, rather than sports movies or uh -huh. cowboys or something. Yeah, yeah. I just did. And I really liked the Universal Monster movies. Okay. Which, even though back then we only had 13 channels, they seemed to be on all the time. There was always, you know, every weekend there was, right. you know, the Wolfman or Frankenstein meets the Wolfman or uh -huh. you know, Bride of Frankenstein. And uh, so I watched those any chance I could. And the Wolfman actually was like my favorite. Oh, okay. So I yeah. spent a lot of time as a kid um, trying to make myself up as the Wolfman. Okay. You know, I would find a, a theatrical place, a uh, supply place that sold crepe hair, uh -huh. which is like the cheapest hair you can buy, and spirit gum. Uh -huh. And I would just, you know, on the weekend, just get in front of the mirror and brush on spirit gum and start laying on oh, crepe shit. hair and I would paint my nose black. <laughs> of course, it always, I was no prodigy. Yeah. You know, it always turned out horrible. Yeah. You know, but it was fun. And, and so there was that, the Wolfman and the Universal movies. And then I guess in 68 or 69, I saw Planet of the Apes. Okay. And that was it. Um, all right. You know, at the, all those apes movies. And it was great when you were a kid because they put them out just, it seemed like one after another. Right. You know? And so there was the original Planet of the Apes. And then before you knew it, I'm like, I got a whole other movie beneath. Right. You know, and then another and another and another. And the toys and the, the TV show and the comics and everything. And I had all that stuff. You know, I had the model kits. I had the, the Mego. Oh yeah, the Mego figures, sets, yeah. You know, and one thing I think if if a genie had appeared and granted me one wish, you know, what what would you want most in the world? What I really wanted was my own prosthetic makeup. You okay, know, if I could have my own ape appliances. That'd be <laughs> so cool. But that was so far beyond even coming close. So I was like ten or twelve. Even coming close was so far beyond what I could accomplish. Uh, what I could accomplish. Um, cause that involved, you know, besides needing a life cast to your face, um, you know, again, you would have to know how to sculpt and mold and run foam latex. That was probably the biggest hurdle, right? I, foam latex. That's like chemicals. How do you, uh -huh. how do you do that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was out of reach. Although ironically, once I did have the, <laughs> the time and the skills and the resources, uh -huh. I never made Naples plants. <laughs> Yeah. Once I was around all this stuff, it was like, yeah. I don't have time for that. So, right. Um, but there was, I think for a lot of people my age, a really big deal back then was the Dick Smith, um, Dick Smith makeup kits. Okay. They had three different ones mm -hmm. and they were pretty great to make them for, so that, to, that kids could like get them, afford them. Uh, they had vacuform molds. The, the material that you cast the appliances out of was gelatin. Okay. And they did have a gorilla. Oh, uh, shit. They had a gorilla makeup kit. Yeah. So you could make your own appliances and glue them on and paint it and the whole thing, which right. I did. <laughs> it was awesome. Did you make movies as well? Like little, when, when you were a kid using uh, those You know, things? not like movie movies. I mean, we goof, you know, the usual goofing around stuff. Okay. You know, Super 8 camera, but not like, um, not narrative films. Um, I would fool around with stop motion. Okay. Kind of off and on early on. I kind of flirted. Um, with stop motion, I was a, such a big fan of effects in general right, and right. creatures mm -hmm. that stop motion held a lot of interest for me.
But again, that was something that was very, you know, uh, you really need a lot to do that. You had to have the right kind of camera, an armature, uh, right. know, sets, all that stuff, and the patience uh, to do it. So I fooled around with that stuff, but no, mostly I just, you know, if I get my hands on some makeup, some grease paint, you know, just some bare bones, basic stuff, I would just make myself up. Okay. That's whatever. So that so was that, mostly my, my outlet. That movie, I'm reminded of that movie Super 8. The what was? Although that was maybe 80s and you were probably a little bit older than the, the makeup kids in that movie. Oh, wait. The movie Super 8. Oh, Super 8. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, yeah, yeah I know. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I was older than the kids in that film, but that was, uh, yeah, similar. That was that similar yeah. type of thing. But yeah, and my step, my the nostalgic feeling I had watching that film was for that era of that era, that '80s era of filmmaking. Uh -huh. You know, which the which the film was kind of kind of referencing the Amblin right. films. So that was the nostalgia that I got out of that. But um, yeah, you know, I read um, Cinemagic magazine which was this great, it was probably the only thing out there that, you know, showed you how to do, they had a little bit of everything in every issue of models. They covered like matte painting and double exposure. And they had some really good articles on doing makeup and making masks and stuff like that. So that was a really cool resource. All right. What would you say is your favorite uh, horror movie of all time? Oh, horror movie. It's really hard to pick a favorite, a favorite. Um, and the ones I would pick are the usual ones. It would be, what's that? Original Wolfman? Yeah, although I think I definitely liked it a lot more when I was young <laughs> than I do now. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, okay. You know, you watch it now and it's like, boy, it's, you know. Doesn't hold up. They're very, yeah, they're very short. And, um, and I know this is like sacrilege, um, you know, to the other monster kids out there but um i mean there's a lot of it, it it's not a film that i would put on like oh boy you know saturday night i got nothing to do uh -huh. i'm gonna watch the lon chaney wolfman You're right right you know but um oh and that sorry besides so yeah the wolfman playing the apes the names lon chaney and lon chaney jr uh-huh were to me like I, again it was just this magic thing i would get this little thrill as a kid it's like lon chaney you know it's just this <laughs> This guy, and when I was really young, I didn't, I, I didn't get that there was a Lon Chaney Senior, and Lon Chaney Junior. Right. You know, I I would see both names, and I thought they were the same guy, and he was just billed differently, you know. And um, so yeah, this guy actually got to play the Wolfman. It's like, wow, great would that be? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was just this magical. Even now, when I hear, hear the name Lon Chaney, um, but yeah, favorite. You know, it would have to be. Kind of the standbys, The Exorcist, which I actually came to really late. I didn't see that when it came out. Oh, wow. Okay. I couldn't have anyways. My dad saw it in the theater with his uncle, I think, great uncle. And he said he had to leave the theater in the middle of it because <laughs> it was too yeah. much, too much at the time. How Nobody old was had he? ever seen anything like that. How old was he? My dad is um, turning 60 this year um next month actually but uh so i don't know he's like in high school maybe okay wow yeah it's, it's just like 75 yeah it's probably about right yeah um so yeah that and that i still i i, I tend to watch it at least once a year and to me it's still this amazing 
thing. It's like, how does this even get made? This is so, I mean, everything about it. The, it's nominated for Best Picture, right? Was it? it? I don't know. They had, I don't know. I it think it's the only one. I could be wrong. Maybe there's another one, but there aren't, mm. there definitely aren't many. It's, a, it's the only one, or it's one of the few horror movies ever even nominated as for Best Picture. Maybe it was. They tend to really look down on, um, you know, horror movies aren't real movies, according, <laughs> according to the Academy. Yeah, apparently, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm glad. Uh, I think if I'd seen it when, oh, God, I would have been 13 or younger. Um, no, 75. Yeah, tw- I don't know. Uh, I'm glad I didn't, I didn't see it then. I would have, yeah, I wouldn't have made it. Yeah, um, yeah. We, again, we went to the movies a lot, and there was a local theater there in Garden Grove, and on the weekends, We'd go and see whatever family film or, you know, Disney thing was open. I can't imagine what we might have been seeing that they would show this trailer, but they showed a trailer for uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, shit. Okay. And that just fucking blew my mind. It was like, <laughs> why, did, why does this even exist? Yeah. <laughs> How can this even be out? I mean, that really haunted me for a long time. So needless to say, I didn't see that one for a long time either. Right. But um, so, yeah. So The Exorcist... Um, Rosemary's Baby, which tonally, it's it's not as flashy as uh-huh. The Exorcist. It's not as you know lurid. It's not full of effects. There's no effects, um, but it's an incredibly uh, effective film. And uh, and for me, it kind of have I didn't see that when I was a kid either, but it did have have kind of a cool effect because uh, it was ripped off in all these TV movies. Oh, okay, you know, so like yeah. the ABC, you know, movie of the week back when they had such a thing. Um, <laughs> there was always, it seemed to me all the time, there couldn't have been that many, but there would always be a story about, you know, some young girl who's, you know, going to be a bride and she was either going to be married or she was going to have a baby. Uh-huh, and then there right. was always some dark thing happening on, you know, with the groom side of the family or with the neighbors and maybe with her friends. And there was always witches involved. And I had this weird kind of fetish. It was a really good one. If at the end, <laughs> If at the end their eyes glowed, and again, how many of those? How how many could have had that? How many could have been about that and had glowing eyes? But I remember as a kid, you're like waiting for the whole thing. It's like yes, glowing eyes. That's awesome. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, so yeah, so The Exorcist, uh, Rosemary's Baby, and Alien. I saw Alien in the theater in San Francisco. When did that come out? Seventy nine. Yeah, seven nine. So I was like seventeen, and uh, you know, back then there wasn't as much information about you know, nothing really was given away. I knew it was a horror film. Mm-hmm. I barely heard of anybody who was in it, and um, yeah, never heard of the director, and so yeah, that was, it was awesome. It was a great, great experience. Yeah, there wasn't being a whole terrified. lot of sci-fi horror like that at the time, right? I'm sure there was no. there was a little, but not not to that degree. Some, not that kind of, I mean, definitely nothing that looked like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a very, as a lot of people pointed out, it, it's a very kind of stock story. You know, people in a confined space, there's a monster. But, um, and, and again, that's one that even now, uh, I don't know how many times I've seen it. I still got caught up in it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just, it's impeccable. It's perfect. Supposedly, again, maybe people want to check this online and, and check me on this, but it supposedly has the most famous pitch of all time. Apparently, the legend is that it was pitched as it's Jaws on a spaceship. I wouldn't be surprised. And it was like sold immediately. <laughs> Could be. 
Yeah. Yeah, because I, I would think at that time, Jaws, you know, in this would, you know, it's automatic. It would be like, die hard on a bus. Yeah. yeah. Speed. Um, yeah. If you could just, if you could sell it in 11 words, you got it. Yeah, exactly. Make but, it easy. Um, yeah, I remember riding home uh, with a friend of mine. We'd both gone into the city to see it, and we're riding home on the BART train. And we're literally just sitting there and, and stunned. Oh, silence wow. yeah know, we're just like <laughs> you just kind of stare at each other staring out the window and just replaying it it's like do i really see that and you're trying to like just absorb the whole thing it's like the guy was a the guy was a robot right what i think just came out of his chest and this and that. <laughs> it just completely weirded you out it was great it was great i wish people now as everybody grows up knowing you know everything about all the films you, know, yes. you know what it looks like you know the you can stages. freeze frame the trailers online and things yeah like that. you know every, everybody everybody knows the life cycle of the alien and but just seeing it cold like that and having no clue what was going to happen next mm -hmm. yeah it was uh that was great great experience but let's get back to me <laughs> actually this leads right in okay to the the next question very related um Sci-fi is obviously a huge part of the effects industry. Sure. So uh, what's your favorite sci-fi film? Was it Planet of the Apes, first one? Or? That I still hold for. Lucky for me, Planet of the Apes has aged uh, better than The Wolfman. Um, it's still a really good movie. And it's another one that um, it's like, how did they sell this? Right. How did they get the money to make this? It's right. like we're going to put you know, 99% of our cast in these ape makeups, which we don't know how to do yeah. just yet. Uh -huh. You know, and um, yeah, it's a really, well, I mean, it's a classic. Um, and so it's beneath for that matter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, those were up there. But I would say for me, for a number of reasons, because I just, because I like it. Mm -hmm. And because there was something about that film, maybe just the age that it hit me at. There was something about that film that really flipped the switch in me. And it was like, I want to, I, I want to make something like this. Okay. You know, and it wasn't even a particularly heavy creature film, but it was Close Encounters. Okay. Of the third kind. I saw it at least a dozen times. In the theater? Yeah. Oh, shit. Um, that's all we, that's all we did back then. Um, right. If, you know, uh, Star Wars, same thing. I didn't see Star Wars quite that often. Uh, but Close Encounters, definitely at least 12 times. Superman. Uh, the Christopher Reeve uh -huh. Superman at least a dozen times. Wow! Because that was the only way to to get your fix. Yeah, they you know? once it left the theater, that was it, right? Yeah, and but the, and also they would be in the theater for a year. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. You yeah. know, so a couple months would go by. Excuse me, <laughs> nothing good's open. It's like, well, I'll go see Close Encounters again. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, but that, and they were having. Uh, on TV, they would have shows about uh, behind the scenes of you know current popular films, and this one uh, this one had behind the scenes of Close Encounters. So it was like B roll uh -huh. footage, just the actors on set and this and that. And it wasn't like a revelation. I knew how movies were made, but I just I love that film so much, and it was like God, you know, I just want to be there. I just I want to be on that set. Um, so yeah, I think that's. The fire was uh, the fire was already kind of smoldering, right? And I think that's what really kind of made it flare up. That and um, what happened a few years ago, with the, a few years after that, with the makeup effects okay. explosion. What's your parents think of you going into this profession? Uh, they were actually I had quite a lot of autonomy. 
Um, my dad, even though he was in the restaurant business his whole life, um, was a very creative guy and he really encouraged that okay. in me. And, um, so yeah, and it was nothing, I mean, I'm sure to them it was a natural progression. Uh, I was always into comic books and I, I, every, everything, every geek thing you could think of, <laughs> um, I did, I tried except for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, that's um, the same for me. I actually. Did that, yeah, I actually have never done D and D. Right, no D and D and no Doctor Who. So sorry. actually, yeah, I mean, same, yeah. same. Um, but you know, so comic books, uh, the monster movies, obviously cartoons, ventriloquism, um, <laughs> puppets, magic. Um, I was really big into magic. Not Magic the Gathering. No, magic. Oh, like God, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, oh, that's too nerdy. <laughs> no, are you kidding? Christ. <laughs> um, worse, no, no, actually, no, just magic, magic tricks. Okay. Um, and, uh, and again, very luckily, it was, you know, it was, I, I never got like, um, you know, grow up, you know. Oh, that's you know, good. what are you going to, you know, what are you going to do with your life? Yeah. That, that was never the case. It was like, sure. Was you your know? dad like restaurant business too hard anyway? Or I'm sorry. Was your dad like the restaurant business is too hard? Well, I, I don't think he ever would have wanted me necessarily to follow him. Um, okay. But um, again, my dad really liked films, and um, he again, I mean, t to me as a kid, you look up to your dad, anyways. So when your dad can, you know, make some mar remarkable thing out of something. Um, you just think, well, yeah, that's what dads do. You know, of course my dad can make a whole, um, at a, a school project. I think every kid in California gets a school project okay. to make a, a mission copy of the California mission. Okay. Out of, um, sometimes it's sugar cubes. I think for ours, it could be, it, it could be any material you wanted. Okay. But you had to make a model of a mission. And I think you got assigned which one it was. And like I usually did when I was a kid, <laughs> I waited, even though I had weeks to do it. Uh, I waited until like the Friday or the Saturday before it was due. And then I kind of go, you know, moping up to dad. Oh, <laughs> obviously, you know, Brent's really sad about something. It's like, what? <laughs> what is it? Oh, we got this. We got what? We got this. We got to make a, a thing for school. And <sighs> okay. So my dad was using foam corn hot glue. Oh, shit. Would, would, would make this beautiful uh, model of a mission. He was, just, he was a creative guy. And, um, so yeah, I was in, indulged sounds a little over the top, but, um, you know, when I was in the magic, I would get magic tricks on my birthday and, and, um, this way, again, this was something that didn't really strike me until later when I was into ventriloquism, my dad gifted me, uh, his beautiful, uh, he had a ventriloquist puppet that he'd gotten oh, shit. when he was a kid that his parents oh, wow. bought for him, which at the time, and so he was a kid in the fifties which at the time it cost like a hundred bucks. This is like the real deal. Yeah. A hundred dollar thing with, yeah. you know, eyes that moved and uh, you know, yeah. And again, it was one of those things like, Oh cool. Dad gave me this. I was like, my dad had a ventriloquist puppy. <laughs> um, so yeah. And he, and he would try, he would try to help me with my makeup stuff, but the stuff I wanted to do was like, you know, like make a life cast in my head. Mm -hmm. You know, we couldn't, I, I remember like almost in a dream, some, half attempts to somehow make a mold of my head. Um, <laughs> but it would never work. Uh, so yeah. So when 
you know, when I got into that stuff, um, it was like, okay, well, you know, I did roll some talk about it. You should probably have some kind of fallback thing. But when you're a kid and when you know, you know, when you know that that's what you want to do, yeah. it's like, why do I need a fallback? Yeah. I don't need a fallback. This is what I'm going to do. Right. So luckily it worked out. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, you talked a bit about your, your dad. What does your mother do? Is she a homemaker? Uh, for the most part, a homemaker. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty much it. She was mom. Uh, later on, uh, she... Uh, doesn't seem like such a great thing to say about your mom. She she did end up working later. My parents split up. Okay. So when I was in my teens. Okay. And then after that, she did do jobs. But it wasn't, it wasn't like a career type of job. So... Okay. So did you go from house to house or were you just, uh, that place? happened when we'd moved from garden Grove to big bear. And again, I was just a kid. So you don't really quite get all the intricacies, mm -hmm. but it's like, why would that? We'd, we'd already had a kind of a, a weekend or vacation house up in big bear. And the decision was made, well, by my parents that we would move up there. Okay. And, um, and again, I put together later that they were already having problems and they thought a change of scene. And maybe my dad, um, so my dad worked very hard. He was managing a restaurant. Yeah. And um, uh, that if we just kind of slow things down, maybe that would help, you know, whatever was going on between them. Uh, uh, so they, they, they tried to make it work for a while. They did. Yeah. Uh, so we moved to Big Bear <laughs> where my dad, I don't know how I... And again, I was just a kid, so you just kind of go with the flow. Um, but we moved to Big Bear, and then my dad bought or basically took over a place called the Fawnskin Lodge, which is across the lake in Fawnskin. And so that was a restaurant and an inn uh, that he was now managing. And so I later was like, how is this? must be something I'm missing. How is this supposed to give them more time, you know, more time with the family or, <laughs> right, or whatever. Right. In a way it did because yeah. we all went to work oh. at the Fonskin Lodge. Okay. So I would have been like 13 or 14. My brother was like 11 or 12. My sister was like 17. And my mom, let's see, my mom worked as a hostess. My sister also worked in the front. My brother and I were fucking dishwashers. <laughs> which didn't even seem that horrible at the time. Yeah. yeah. But like Saturday nights, we work the weekends. Mm -hmm. Saturday nights were like, we'd actually get really busy. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm 13. Yeah. We're working with these industrial kitchen, you know, dishwashers. You've been working with chemicals thing. your whole life. I know, right? That was nothing. <laughs> that was just soapy water. That was a preparation. <laughs> you know, but we got, we got paid, which I'm sure it was, you know, it definitely wasn't minimum wage, but still yeah. it's like, Hey, money in your pocket. And it was the whole thing of like, you know, we're the family's all coming together to help out. Yeah. So in any case, it didn't last that long, although it did, <laughs> it did lead to one traumatizing incident. So again, all we had then was regular TV, 13 channels. Right. And I was one of those kids who every week when the TV guide came out, yeah. would read it. Uh -huh. I mean, you read the TV guide, the listings, Oh, cover really? to cover just to see what so you could see watch, yeah make a mental note of what's going to be on i feel like kids now especially <laughs> kids like millennials they oh my god dude yeah no idea what that's like i, I could i could watch pine the apes right now on my phone right right, um, right. you can't just search for it. and 
so so this one week of uh, actually Planet of the Apes was going to be on. And it was like, all right. It was like a national holiday when that was on. So it was going to be on on a Sunday night. Great. I worked at the restaurant. I worked Friday nights. My brother and I both worked Saturday because it was so busy. Mm-hmm. And he had Sunday. So we're getting closer and closer to the weekend. My brother gets sick. And it's looking like sick enough, like he's not going to make it in on Sunday. Okay. So being the good brother I am, I'm like begging with him. Yeah. To like fight through. Yeah. Just come on, buck yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> and go to your job yeah. tonight. Right. It's kind of the apes night for me. Right. I need to be home <laughs> so I can watch it. I won't get to see it again for another nine months. Right. Um, but that did not happen. He stayed sick. And so I had to go and work in his place. So. So you missed Planet of the Apes. What's that? Yeah. You missed it. I know. But that would have been your like hundredth time seeing it or what? Uh, Something like that. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't like I had lacked for seeing it. Right. I'd seen it plenty of times. Um, But still, you know, when you're a kid. You had to wait till it was actually broadcast by the channel. You couldn't couldn't even record it on VHS at that point. No, 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 no. Nothing like that. But again, I mean, fortunately, there was so much other stuff when Marvel... I think it was Marvel Comics uh, in the late, well, in the 70s, they came out with a Planet of the Apes magazine, and that was pretty cool. Every month, you got an Apes nice. fix, and they, they adapted the movies in chapters, and they had articles about the making of the film, and then they had, would have an original comic book story in it. So it was actually pretty cool. Although, <laughs> I thought of an analogy for that years later. You know, they have all these uh, muscle-building magazines. yeah. yeah. There is only so much you can write about doing curls. Yeah, right. Yeah. There's just, you know. Exactly. You know, new technique for blasting your arms. Like, there's really only, <laughs> you know, there's really only this much, you know, a book. Lift that one weight. book covers the whole thing. Yeah. You know, you learn everything you need to know. Um, and it was kind of the same with this magazine. After about 20 issues, and they went on for a long time. After about 20 issues, it's like, there's really nothing more to write about <laughs> the apes. Right. You know, they started to lose steam. Kind of. I mean, for, for for the reader, certainly it did because it, there was a limited amount of information. And uh, you know, how many how often can you write about the sets or the costumes? You know, and, and the makeup. Um. So yeah. So eventually, um, you know, you just buying it out of habit because it's it's Planet of the Apes. But um, still a great thing to have around. And again, the cartoon show and they had the when the live action show that was like. It's like they've made it just for me. Now you get now you, now you get an apes fix every week yeah, on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you, what comics were you into as a kid? Other than that, other than playing the apes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, again, a lot of the usual ones: superhero stuff, of course. Um, the Hulk was a big one. Um, Batman was a big one. I was old enough, or however you want to look at, it, young enough uh, to have caught. The, the Batman TV show. Okay. Uh, I think when it was, so it was 66. 66 to 69. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was I was a, a little kid, yeah. but uh, I was watching it. And so I had tons of Batman stuff. Um, all that stuff. And you see all these really old photos with the you know, little kids with the masks. And yeah. The, that was me. Yeah. Um, everything Batman. Everything Batman. Um, so, yeah. So, the comics, um, Batman. But I wasn't, I wasn't like a DC or Marvel guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was mostly drawn to, if anything made me pick up an issue, uh, a lot of times it would be the art. And yeah. Like I really liked. More than story. 
Generally, yeah. Yeah. But there was stuff, you know, when you're a comic fan, you buy you just buy stuff automatically. It's like all right, the Hulk. Uh Braving the Bold, which is a, a Batman team up book. Um mm-hmm. some stuff you buy automatically, but if something that's why they have those covers, you know, if something <laughs> catches your eye, you get it. Right. So there were some people like Joe Kubert who uh did Tarzan. I can't remember what led me to what. I'd already read the pulp uh Tarzan novels. Mm-hmm. So I was already a fan of the character. That was nothing, and I, that's right. And I watched the films again, all geek stuff. Yeah, I watched the uh, all the Tarzan films when they would be on, um, which was tough because even as a kid, it's like these are not very good. Um, <laughs> but the Tarzan comic yeah. that Joe Cooper drew was terrific. He's, he's really a brilliant artist. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I would just kind of go through phases. Um, uh, you know, Teen Titans and. Um, was there the the whole DC versus Marvel thing at that time, or did anybody? Give uh, a it shit? was, but it wasn't. I mean, to me, it wasn't as pronounced um, because I wasn't going to conventions or anything, uh-huh. and I didn't have like a big, I didn't have a squad um, <laughs> to really talk uh, talk comic books with. So I mean, there was that, but I wasn't. It didn't. It didn't really affect me. We're also in that area where people talk about it a lot, but I I think I remember even as a kid in the nineties. You, you were hard pressed to find somebody that was like really into movies in general. People just go to see a movie and be like, ah, "That was good. Let's see." Yeah, you know, huh. they, people don't really discuss them. It's not they'll watch them, but it's not it doesn't seem like it's a really big part of their lives. You right. Know? Uh, yeah, I suppose in general, right? Yeah, that's true. Civilians. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a couple hours entertainment. They don't they don't really fixate on them like we do. But, but I think that since the internet's come out. And again, maybe this is just my perspective being skewed because I'm in that world so heavily. But I feel like there's more of those kinds of people now than there used uh, to be. You know, are there? I, I suppose technically that's true. But we still had, um, th- there was always some version of that. It was just in a different form. Like when I was in my teens, um, I mean, there were still a lot of magazines about filmmaking and uh, and books. And um and later in my teens, I was going to conventions. So I think it was, you know, I, I would say just because of the availability, yeah, of all that information, that it has grown. But I think that core, um, that really strong, that group that has that really passionate feeling about it has always been there. It's just how they, how they get their information, mm-hmm. how they express it has changed. Right. Because um, now I have to, like, I ask myself, like, how did... Like when the first Batman movie mm-hmm. was being made, and it's amazing because this information had to just come out so slowly over months. But you know, you would get it. You read Starlog. Starlog, yeah, I was and to um, that, yeah. you know, and so Tim Burton, you know, this guy Tim Burton who'd already only done Beetlejuice, is going to direct Batman. And I was like, that was okay. Pee Wee as well. Yeah, yeah. Pee Wee, yeah. But the consensus was, you know, he, he's this young. You know, really interesting guy. He's become he's become such a brand name now. There was something really kind of um, what's the word radical. Um, I don't know he he was a really fresh voice uh-huh. at the time. You know, he was he was something new. He was, he was shaking up the status yeah. quo. And you know, he'd been an animator, so he he was like geek. You know, that was cool. Yeah. Um, but when but then Michael Keaton was cast. Yeah. And again, it's like, how did we, how do we even channel that outrage? 
But I remember it being so so pervasive that it, it, it was it was like the hugest screw up you could possibly imagine. Michael Keaton. Yeah. You know, Mr. it was Mom. just like, you know, everybody's hopes went like way, way up because Batman movie. Yeah. You know, Tim Burton. Cool. <laughs> Michael Keaton is just I was like, wow, you just you just snapped, you know, our dreams in half. That's awful. Kevin um, Smith talks about this a lot on his podcast. Mm -hmm. He says the internet existed just for a moment at that time, so nerds could go <laughs> could enrage. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, we got uh, Matt and Stefan have now joined us. You know, I can't really hear myself. No, I can't hear myself. Either. Oh, okay. Can you guys, you guys can hear us though, right? Yeah. Oh, hey. All right. That's Hello. Maddie. <laughs> hey, Maddie. <clears throat> Hello. All right. And there's Stefan. Hello, sorry about that. Hey, Stefan. <laughs> Hi there. Um, yeah, that was that was definitely a sign of of things to come. And I admit, I joined in too. I thought I, I thought it was a horrendous, a horrible idea. Because you only knew him from Mr. Mom at the time. Is that why? Yeah, from Mr. Mom, you know, and from Beetlejuice. Of course, everybody loved him in Beetlejuice. Oh yeah, that yeah, yeah. but that's not Batman. No. Yeah. And this guy, he's lightweight. Um, you know, he's he is not dark and brooding. And um, <laughs> uh, he, he, the guy is not Batman. He's just—he's not. He's not Batman. Um, you know, and it was kind of helped out by Jack Nicholson. It's like, all right, Jack. Yeah, Jack Nicholson's okay as a Joker. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, wait, when you actually saw it, though, what were your thoughts? You're like, oh, they oh, pulled true. it off. Oh yeah. Okay. No, it was great, and and you couldn't. Um, I mean, kind of a lot of that had gotten forgotten, anyways. I think when 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 the first images of like batman in the suit which i think the first time i saw it was in the la times the sunday section okay uh around the beginning of the year they would have their preview their, their film preview of the entire year yeah and that was like the source because there was no entertainment weekly um there was hardly anything to really get the scoop <laughs> on on the on the films that were coming out you yeah. might have heard of the films but uh, a lot of the studios, that's where they would debut the, the very first images. Mm -hmm. They would see all this stuff coming out. So it was uh, the LA Times calendar section, uh, which on Sundays was like magazine format. It wasn't like a regular newspaper fold-open format. It was like you know, magazine format. And there on the cover was Tim Burton as Batman standing next to the Batmobile. Oh, shit, yeah. And then it was just like... Yeah. Forget everything I said. <laughs> <laughs> they Look did. at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look yeah. at that. Was it weird Batman. that it was a dark superhero film? No, I think we all, we all, everybody, everybody wanted that. We all wanted that. And, um, and we'd already been primed, you know, the studio and everybody really made sure, you know, to let people know it's like, this is not, we're not making, you know, the Adam West Batman. That was clear from the beginning. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, okay. the mark, everything about it. We knew the way we thought of it. We, um, it's like this, this was the Batman for us. This is the Batman right. that we've been reading, you know, in the comics. And um, this is going to be real. This is going to be a serious Batman. Um, and it was. And it was, um, again, that was, it was hard to believe pre-internet, the hype for that. The, it, it was just the biggest event ever. You know, you saw that symbol. You saw mm -hmm. the yellow and black bat symbol everywhere yeah and um 
Yeah, and I would say it overall, it li- it really lived up to it. It was, I mean, for me, it was what I was what I thought it was going to be. And when that came out, you were already working on Gremlins. Uh, when did Batman come out? Eighty nine. It was announced early as fuck, I think. It was announced like 86 or something, 85. Yeah, it could be. Uh, so, yeah, by then, I guess I must have already been in L.A. Because I worked on Gremlins uh, and Enemy Mine and the Fly. <laughs> Enemy Mine. I wanna, Enemy I wanna, Mine. I wanted to ask about Enemy Mine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And uh, <laughs> love the fly, too, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and so I moved to L.A. I finished working on the fly, and I moved to L.A., before it was open, and I started working on Lost Boys, which came out in... Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> you got some fans here, man. Yeah, yeah. Lost Boys came out in 87. Yeah. It came out in 87 because it's an anniversary. So I guess I moved down here in, like, 85 or 86. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so I was down here in L.A. when, uh, yeah, when Batman opened up. Okay. And then you got you got in on the second one pretty, like... I did. Easily at that point? Yeah, it was... Um, you know, one thing to know too is the way this stuff happens. There's no, um, it, it's it's all by, by happenstance. There's there's you know, from my first job, to, to my latest job, these things just happen. There's mm-hmm. no, um, you you just get a call, and yeah. there's no plan. There's no, um, you know, I mean, there might have been one or two times when I actively tried to get on something, but you just kind of wait to see what comes through the the transom. So. With Batman, I think I'd already been work. Uh, sorry, Batman Two. Uh, I thought I'd, I think I'd already put in a little time at Rick Baker's on Gremlins Two, actually. Which again, it was just a complete coincidence. By the way, just a pin in that real quick. Gremlins Two, I like that one more than the first one. When yeah, I was a kid. so do I. So do yeah. I. Oh nice. my gosh! It was just blasphemy. So, <laughs> so much fun. So, so much, much better. better. It was fun. No, it's I'm not like, <laughs> it's like a like it's like a weird horror movie for kids, dude. Like that movie is supposed to be super violent. The first one. I like. Yeah, the first. I like one. the. Yeah, one. I love it. I love how dark it is for like well, a Spielberg produced like yeah. little creature movie. It's great. That's so good. I think that everything that the first one had, the second one, just like it tried to be like more of a comedy. It was, yeah, well, I liked yeah. that it did that. I think. Yes. I think they primed the grim. I sorry. I think they primed the Gremlins to be more comedic after that. Right. Well, as a kid, I just like liked the, all the different that. versions. I like seeing the electric version, yeah, the, the yeah. singing. Uh, yeah, that was cool. You know, the the really proper. Maybe dude, a, a all happy those, medium. I know it was yeah. like not a horror movie, but to me, I like I like the type sound. I did like the comedy as a kid. I really connected. And with it's that. I think for yeah for being two very different things. I think Gremlins does what it does really well, and I mean Joe Dante's. I don't know about his first, well, his first love, I guess, is movies. But right up there is Warner Brothers cartoons. Uh huh. And I think what he he wanted know, the Looney Tunes for yeah. Gremlins. And yeah. he didn't he didn't want to repeat himself. And I think it was kind of That's a interesting kind of a. I mean, I'm just guessing because I don't really know. But I think it was the whole thing was kind of a comment on the studio thing where it's like we like what you did with that first Gremlins, but it was so dark. <laughs> You know, <laughs> could you kind of do that but like not make it scary at all and it's like sure toys? yeah true, and it was like that. fine and he managed to have fun with it i mean it's a it's very much a joe dante mm-hmm. kind of a film his sense of humor and you know the cast and everything and i think he just decided to um you know to it's like all right i you know if you're gonna find somebody to give you what you want mm-hmm. so you know why don't i do it right and um 
Uh, but yeah, it, so in any case, so ending up on that and being also the only person to have worked in the creature department on both films. Um, but that, again, was just a complete coincidence. I just happened to be free. Another job I thought I was going to be doing fell through. I knew that Rick Bakers, who I'd never worked for before, that they were current up for Gremlins 2. And, I mean, Rick's then, I guess, always had this kind of mystique about him. I mean, they were the... Rick's Bakers was the shop. Right. And so I did, I, I never even really bothered to apply. It's like, I'm not, I'm not good enough to work there. But, um, but I really need to work. And they <laughs> needed a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, so I gave them a call and I got hired and ended up being with them for a few years. So I did that. And then somebody I knew from Rick's, a coordinator, was working at the so-called Bat Shop, which is over by the Birmingham Airport. Mm -hmm. All the film on the first movie, everything had been done in England. And okay. On Batman Returns, they were going to do everything here. Okay. They were going to make everything. They uh, shot it here. So they brought over some Brits to supervise things, and then they just hired everybody locally. Okay. So, yeah, so I got hired at the bat shop. And it was kind of departmentalized, not by what you did, although there was that, but there was kind of a, there was a Catwoman team, a okay. Batman team, and a Penguin team. Okay. And I was primarily on the on the Batman team. Nice. Yeah. So did you make did you mold the cowl or what exactly no, did you do on there? No, not the cowl. Um <laughs> uh although that was a really fascinating thing to watch. It was a one piece it, it was very technical, but a one piece mold with a collapsible core, which I'd never seen before. Um but no, just various armor parts. I mean we remolded Michael Keaton's body form and then it was sculpted, and that was the first time I remember seeing the technique which is really common now to where they, they sculpt the armor parts that they want in clay. We make a mold out of that mold. We cast a, a hard copy okay. and then that hard copy gets sanded and polished right. uh, to perfection. And then it's remolded and that becomes the actual production okay. mold. So awesome. Yeah. I'd never seen that before. And I was like, wow. I mean, it takes, everybody remembers, um, you know, they think of a Batman and I think the bat suit's like, wow, cool. If you look at the bat suit in the first movie now, it's it's pretty fucking rough. It's, 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 it's rough, you know. Um, you know, it looks neat and all that. I mean, it's cool. It's Batman, but you compare that with the second one, where I think I think on the on Batman Returns they actually veered a little. They went a little too slick. Um, but you compare the the cowls and the two, which design wise are pretty much the same. Yeah, and there's no yeah. there is no comparison. Um, uh, the second one is so sleek and mm -hmm. just, you know, so perfect looking. Um, but yeah, that was a really, that was a really good, I mean, it, it, that was one of those films that doesn't come along that often where you're just super excited from the get-go. Right, it's yeah. Like, Batman, all right, I couldn't work on Batman, but Batman Returns. Yeah. And, you know, it's got the Penguin and Catwoman. And for me, uh, Annette Bening originally was going to be Catwoman. Right. And she was very popular at the time. She was brand new. And I was like, yeah, great. She's really good. And, uh, but she got pregnant and she couldn't do it. And so there was a lot of every name was being tossed out, mm -hmm. you know, who's going to be Catwoman. And, uh, and then I got the call, uh, from my friend, Mary, who was the coordinator. She let me know. It's like, all right, so Michelle Pfeiffer is going to be coming into the shop for a live cast. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I had such, I, I still do. I just, I love Michelle Pfeiffer. She's absolutely, she's beautiful yeah, and, and talented, the whole, you know, yeah. everything. 
and uh, totes. Wow. So, <laughs> so yeah. So she came in. Totes uh, hot. Totes hot. Mute you seven. So uh, yeah. So she <laughs> came in for a live cast. We did the whole thing. We did a head cast and a body cast and everything, um, which which was great. Um, and Danny DeVito, actually, which was, you know, of course, polar opposite, but, um, <laughs> we did, nah, we did, we did. still, I mean, a, a nice guy. What's that? He's not your type. No, no, not so much. Um, you know, still very, very <laughs> talented, very talented guy. Um, and, oh, yeah. uh, but yeah, he came in we did like his, we did his body cast. I guess we, I don't know if somebody else had done his head cast, maybe only did his body cast. For the penguin suit, and that was a whole weird thing too. We were working on the penguin suit, which was, you know, a fat suit. And then Stan Winston was doing the makeup. Okay. And yeah, it was an odd, it was a very strange kind of breakdown of how this stuff worked out. Um, usually, if a character, when you're doing a whole character, it would usually just be one shop. Uh huh. Um, but some, we were the costume shop, and he was wearing a costume. So that's how that happened. Um, <laughs> And it was just those three characters, all the stuff, all the clowns and everything. None of that stuff happened. When I remember, none of that stuff happened at our shop. It was just the... Or the armored penguins or whatever. Yeah, definitely not that stuff. That was all Stan Winston. But uh, there was like the clown, you know, there was the whole clown um, yeah, I think I remember, yeah. group and all that. Yeah. I don't remember any of that stuff happening. But I actually left... God, what did I go to do? I left that show kind of early. Um, we'd already done quite a lot. And I got a call from Rick Bakers to go back there, and I couldn't tell you what it was for at that time. It might have been one of the projects. I spent a fair amount of time at Rick's on a couple it's projects that were canceled. Era. Could be. Yeah. But again, there was two big shows that he got, and one after another, they both fell through. So it might have been one of those. It was Isobar or another one called T-Rex. Okay. And those were both films that we spent a lot of time on, and then they just kind of evaporated okay so but uh but yeah so in any case i mean the upshot was that um got to spend a fair amount of time on batman returns and it was cool because my friend howie who i mentioned earlier he was up in northern california working as a model maker and he and a friend of his john goodson had kind of a side business making models so shows that um you know, ILM would get these massive shows, mm -hmm. <clears throat> but sometimes they would get a call for something that was too small for the company to handle. So Howie and John formed their own little company and they would take these smaller projects and they ended up making uh, the real cool mirror, the, the bat mirror that you see kind of pivot, you know, in mm -hmm. Batman Returns. Yeah. They did that. They did a couple of shots for that. I just remember at the time thing that was pretty cool, even though we were both working on two totally different things, mm -hmm. two totally different aspects. Right. You know, we're both working on the same movie, you know, right. which has happened a few times since, but I thought that was kind of cool. I was born in 84, and I saw, I saw that first Batman movie probably on VHS, probably when I was too young. And I think before, <laughs> before Batman Returns came out. Mm -hmm. So I, I think I've seen them all in order. But then when Batman Returns came out, that was like, the biggest movie in the world to me. I had all, yeah. the, like almost all the toys probably. And, uh, I remember it felt like at the time, Michelle Pfeiffer was just so fucking huge. Mm -hmm. Catwoman. That was like, it's a big part of my childhood. It was <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer. But I feel like after that, she wasn't in hardly anything. I feel like she really fell off the radar. No, I mean, she hadn't even, 
I, yeah, I mean, just because of the type of film it was. Um, that was the only film on my yeah my radar. I and guess. I'm sure on her res- resume, yeah. Uh, or if you were to look up, you know, IMDb ranks people by you know known for yeah the top which, four. Yeah, which is generally like in my case, it's the movie that made the most money. Yeah, but I think because of the audience and and everything that that film had, I could see why it seemed like that. But she, um, I don't know that that whole. I don't know how many years before, and I think for at least at least ten years after. I mean, that was she was in her prime. She did Dangerous Liaisons, and she did. Oh yeah, um, that's right. Um, I don't know all kinds of stuff. I mean, she was yeah, you know, she was big baby, big. I think she uh, speaks French fluently as well. I think she's oh, been in right? French films. Yeah. Oh, I think. Maybe. Yeah. I think you're wrong about that. <laughs> I've never heard that about I her. I feel like I've heard that. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Um. Your favorite film that you've worked on? Mm. As a film or a favorite experience? Which one do you want to talk about more? Um, Both. (laughs) Both. Um, (laughs) Favorite film I've worked on. Um, Some of them are are smaller ones, ones I didn't really even do all that much stuff for. Um, uh, I did a little bit of stuff for Looper. And I think that film came out just great i was yeah. so happy with that movie um you made what the blunderbuss guns or what no 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 it was uh it was makeup stuff and but not even the cool uh makeup not the not the joseph gordon levitt uh makeup the likeness makeup to make uh-huh. him look like bruce it was the guy his partner who's played as a young man by paul dano okay yeah uh, when he gets let's see so paul dano's old self gets sent back and escapes so right, uh, so the bad guys in the film, the bad guys. Um, oh, what, what the bad guys in the film. Yeah. They've grabbed young Paul Dano, and they're mutilating him. And the old guy yeah. is rushing yeah. to get there. So we did like some very small, very minor makeup stuff for that. But I'd already seen Ryan Johnson had already done Brick, which I'd seen and really liked a lot. And so him doing the sci-fi film. Uh huh. Um, I never read the scripts for films I work on. Right. I, I don't need to. Yeah. For one thing. I don't think they give them out anymore, probably, right? No, that too. Uh, but early on, I used to all the time because I was so excited. I'm working on a movie that I wanted to know everything about it. And so I would read the script, and you can't help it. Um, you, you shoot the movie in your head. Mm-hmm. You, know, you imagine how it's going to be. And then, again, back then, it took a lot longer. But so you would wait two years, and you would work on it. You know, And you would like kill yourself making all this stuff, and you get all your hopes up, and then you go and see the movie. And it's like, oh my god, I just I just wasted two years of my life. That was terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> so as as a way to kind of you know, oh, ameliorate that, it was like just don't read the script. I, uh, I really tried to just concentrate on the on the enjoying the process. Right. Don't pin all my hopes. Yeah. It took a long time too, you know. But it's like don't pin your hopes on the finished product because like, nine out of ten times, no, to. most of the time you're going to be disappointed. Um, it's just, yeah. it's just the way it goes. Yeah. Um, but Looper, uh, I was so excited about that. I did read that script, which was, you know, it was a beautiful script. And then I really liked the, I really liked the final film a lot. Yeah. Really liked it. So, yeah. um, there was that men in black. Um, that was one where the experience and the final product, uh, both paid off. There's another great. guy at the shop. I mean, it's not a bad thing to say, but I won't say his name anyway, but he's also said that. That was his favorite uh, thing to work on. Yeah, yeah. It was just—it was a good time. I mean, it was 
you know, working for Rick Baker, who I'd been at Rick's uh, off and on for quite a bit at that point, and really super cool creative uh, mm-hmm. designs. Yeah. Um, it, it, it just had this really good vibe to it. People just went to work every day happy, basically? Uh, I wouldn't say that, no. Oh. <laughs> I wouldn't uh, that Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I think, uh, you know, as happy as, as our lot can get, yeah. Okay, um, gotcha. And again, time. Rick, I think, was one of the very few guys where he just wouldn't take a, a job mm-hmm. uh, unless, he had, unless he had everything he needed. If, okay. You know, he had to have the time. You know, and the money and the cooperation, right, to do it properly. Um, that's that's why the guys got seven or eight Oscars. Right. Um, so, yeah, and, and just cool, neat stuff. I mean, for a number of reasons. Uh, that was the first job that I met uh, Kazu, uh, Kazu Suji, on, who's a Japanese guy. Mm-hmm. Rick hired him. <clears throat> Rick had already seen some of his work. And Kazu was a Dick Smith protege. Okay. And already at that time, very, 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 very good. And but none of us knew him. But Rick brought him on and put him to work on the Vincent D'Onofrio makeup. And there were more, a few more Vincent D'Onofrio effects type of stuff that never got used. And I ended up working a lot with Kazu. Okay. Um, which I realized much later. I, not that I, <laughs> I had any doubts about how good I was, but when it later, when I really grasped what Kazu was capable of, it was like, well, it was kind of a feather in my cap that, <laughs> however, it worked out that I was the guy working with Kazu. Okay. Um, and, and I think Kazu kind of knew or, or came to know that, um, that I would do it properly. But, anyways, just for a number of reasons. And again, the film came out and it's like, ooh, wow, what do you know? It's mm-hmm. actually pretty fun. Yeah, you know, right. this is not that I pictured what it was going to be like, but did you read the script on that one? I did. Yes, I did. Because that was another I, I couldn't help it because that oh. was one where it, it just sounded so interesting. <clears throat> and was it different from or was how no, it was, was pretty it? close? Yeah, it was pretty close. I mean, some very minor stuff, but I would say overall. Yeah, no, it's it stuck to it pretty, pretty closely. The only thing that changed was. Uh, some of the stuff we made. Again, we we made some. There were some effects with D'Onofrio. That was another reason to like that process. Was meeting and working a little bit with Vincent D'Onofrio. Okay, who was just a cool guy, um, just a really good guy. And um, everybody actually got to meet a lot of interesting people on that show. Uh, but effects-wise, Rick made. We had our own version of the Edgar Bug. Okay, and. It was a, a different design, really pretty different design. Can you describe what the Edgar bug you said? Yeah. What? What? Which was? So that's like the, the big movie? roach. That's the that's the thing that that Vincent D'Onofrio, when he tears out oh. of himself at the end, yeah. it's yes. that big bug. Yeah. Gotcha. That gotcha. they find. Yes. So, Rick's design, which we built, um, was more of an alien. I mean, you could call it a bug, but it had more of an alien. Um, God, physiology to it, you know, kind of an insect head, but it had kind of a, a neck that was almost like a cobra and had multiple legs and kind of elegant, really neat. And, and they, and we built it. It was going to be, it was a full size puppet. Mm-hmm. So it was like 12 Are there images tall. of that anywhere. I would think somewhere, you know, even if it was like in the Rick Baker, when he had his auction, 
There yeah. might have been some pictures of it in the auction catalog. Oh, I that up. That's um, got to be online, man. Yeah. But it was really neat. And um, I think, uh, well, Barry Sonnenfeld, we already knew this at this point. Um, Sonnenfeld, even though we'd done like Adam's Family Values and, and the Adam's Family, hadn't had a lot of experience with makeup okay. effects. And uh, so even getting him to agree to a design was um, was a struggle. And at the time, you know, sending this stuff up, um, wh whether it's, you know, waiting to apply makeup or get a guy in a suit or, you know, get a puppet with all the controllers and everything, uh, all this stuff takes time. And ultimately, we just got word that we didn't, that we could pack up the Edgar bug and okay. we didn't need to, I think it was finished. I can't remember what point. I mean, they were filming, maybe not with our Edgar bug, but. We just got word. Just forget about that. We're not gonna. Why do they want design change like that? I, it wasn't even so much the design. I think it was. Again, this is just my, you know, what I'm supposing. That when it came down to it, the the thought of coordinating this actual life size practical puppet on set with the actors. Hold on one second. Um, oh, the phone, fan, that fan, that fan knows that I'm dying over here. Um, <laughs> it's a little hot in here. Uh, I, I think. And this happened a lot, or started happening more and more. Are you turning it off remotely? Yes. Oh my god. I have. Uh, I have. Uh, doesn't it have a switch on it? Yeah, man. But, you know, <laughs> I can do it from here. <laughs> it keeps turning on. God damn it! Oh my god, this is killing me. I think I, I found have... an image of this. I have this Wi-Fi. See, this is my favorite horror movie: the fan that wouldn't stop. It's going to cool us to death. God damn it. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, cut, off okay. its, cut off its power source. Um, so in any case, uh, and this, it was around this time that this kind of thing happened a lot, that um, you've got the effects, the visual effects guys, uh, which is ILM. And so I don't know how many years after Jurassic Park, Men in Black was, but the whole CG thing was really starting to skyrocket and um a lot of us were, were starting to get a little jittery about what that would mean and this was a good example because um however it happened uh the digital the guys from ilm convinced mm -hmm. barry sonnenfeld the director that it's like you know what all you have to do is shoot plates all you have to do is shoot you know shoot uh tommy lee jones and will smith you know swinging at nothing and um you know, just shoot that stuff. Give us that. We'll put that bug in later. You know. Oh wow. And um, I was like, well, you know, can I kind of change this? You can change anything you want. <laughs> so in fact, they ended up completely redesigning it <clears throat> poorly. I thought. Um, <laughs> I, I do. I don't. I don't think it looked. I don't think it looked especially good. Um, and not. Yeah. Not really. No. It looked like you know, a cartoon, like yeah, a smiley face. Yeah, it didn't look very real, and it was just kind of a bad design. And that was kind of a recurring thing where, um, especially with big, with puppets and with big stuff like yeah. that, where you find the work just replaced um, with yeah. digital work. Um, and I, from what it looks like, I, I did a Google search. I found <clears> some <throat> images of Rick Baker's. I posted them in the side thing. But this sculpt, this design looks like way different. Whole Right, it's neat, huh? Entirely yeah. different. 
standing there and it yeah, would have been really yeah, cool you know it's like the imagination of some people is just right. like swept aside for this yeah like what you're saying shooting the plates and everything and then you know running these two images next to one, one another the the one that made it into the movie it's like i really right. like men in black and to yeah. think that it could have been something a little yeah. bit more tangible and a lot more alien yeah. is like and the thing is i mean you know they, it's just like it's sad yeah and the thing is, they had a point. It is really difficult, really difficult to shoot yeah, I'm sure. giant puppets. Um, most of the time, they look really, really mechanical. Uh, it takes a lot of yeah, setup and, and stuff, and it would have needed to be augmented somehow. You couldn't show it walking, so you would have had to make a digital one anyway. Yeah, right, right, um, yeah. Maybe a happy medium somewhere. There, oh, there nice. is, and some people have done it. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think that's the thing that really hurt, is that they, it was like, why did you, you didn't really have to change the design. It just, you know, the design yeah. was fine. If, yeah. You know, if you didn't want to use the puppet at all, that's cool. Did they think it was too scary and they wanted a more cartoony look? Is that I really? Know. I don't know. It I mean, is pretty freaking. It is. Yeah. It's definitely got a more sinister, sinister kind of look to it. But yeah, yeah so that, that yeah, became yeah. a recurring theme. I mean, to the point now where you just, we just don't make <laughs> big puppets anymore. Um, yeah. It's true. I mean, Monster, a lot of the young guys I talked to, it's like, and I got into this, like, make monsters, and it's just not happening. Um, it's coming yeah. back, though, to some degree, right? I, I think, I mean, with guys like Guillermo uh, del Toro, and, you know, there's still guys. What are the big obstacles? It? Sorry. To making that, to doing it practically? I think everybody's just yeah, so yeah. enamored. Everybody's just so in love with digital stuff. Um, yeah. And it does give Quicker you. Quicker turnaround. I'm sorry? Quicker turnaround. I don't know if it's that, because it, I don't, it, I don't think it is. I don't think it's that much quicker or cheaper. Right. Um, yeah. And but you have to decide. For one thing, with our stuff, practical stuff. I mean, you have to know in advance what you want, and yeah. um, and you can't change it. And again, that was the thing with Barry Sonnenfeld. It was like, I remember hearing stories that he would look at the puppet or the sculpture or whatever. It's like, all right, so but if we're on set and you know, I want like this to be different. You know, can we change it? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, no, yeah. that's what this is what we're this is why we're doing this right now. That's a pre-production was that for. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh and I think for a lot of guys, it's like, well, like like films, big films, all the big superhero films, the Star Wars films, they have built into them uh reshoots, you know, a month and a half of reshoots yeah. or whatever. Which are yeah. not new, by the way. The internet no, now no, goes no. insane over reshoots. Yeah, no, it's fine and it makes sense. I yeah. mean, you know, yeah. it's a hugely complex thing and, and they can afford to do it yeah and you know if you watch I mean, woody allen has done that you know the kind of films he makes not exactly effects extravaganzas <laughs> but woody allen just yeah. did that on everything he would shoot the film put together an assembly look at it and it's like okay now i see now i think i see what the film needs to be and he would go back and huh. he would reshoot uh sometimes he'd replace the cast and he would reshoot <laughs> most of the movie um yeah. but that's what it takes it's not a it's not a formula <clears throat> to yeah. make a film it's you know if if you're a real filmmaker so so that's woody allen film so imagine you know something we've got you know puppets and guys in suits and it's like you can decide you know for sure what you want them to look like six months in advance <clears throat> and then you're stuck with that or you can make your movie and the whole time you could be thinking about what you want you could be you know you can change this you can change that and um yeah, I mean, in a weird, in a way, it it makes sense. I mean, who wants to deal with this twelve foot, you know, a nine foot guy in a suit well, or a twelve think, foot puppet? You think that they feel like they have more um, 
leeway as far as what they can shoot. More flexibility, which is true in both cases. There's more flexibility because you can make changes. And again, <clears throat> it, that costs a lot of money. And the digital guys, um, whether it's ILM or whatever, whoever, they don't like that either because in their own way, they're doing what we did. They, they work. A guy models the thing for months. Uh-huh. Somebody paints it, uh, all that. And then it's like, yeah, you know, no bigger, make it bigger eyes or make it, make it this color. Right. That's like, that's a whole, yeah. you know, you're, you're just sending us back. I need like a month. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the, and the release date of the film yeah. never changes. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, everything's gotten kind of <clears throat> caught top security. And again, I think that's the thing too. schedule the schedules for films. It used to be God, two years. Well, let's see. I started working on gremlins in, the fall of 1982, so it's just about to turn 20. So the fall of 1982, and it came out the summer of 1984. Okay. So, you know, a year and a half. Um, but that was, <clears throat> excuse me, that was standard, you know, a year and a half. Now you've got films that you work on, and and you can have, you could be working on them, and one year later you can own the DVD. Yeah, them, exactly. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and these are big effects films. So, so yeah, they don't want to give us the pre-production to make this stuff. And and frankly, when it's done right, <laughs> again, I'm going to get shot for this. When it's done right, like in the Planet of the Apes films, there's nothing like really quality mm-hmm. digital work. It's amazing stuff. True. But the it's new, not the new Planet of the Apes films. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I see the, the commercials so for the new one. Yeah. It's, I no, can't man. believe it. Can't yeah. wait. Yeah. Can't wait. I'm surprised Hashtag those have been that good. Because, you know... As we've all seen, the the reboots in these past few years have been mostly yeah, bad. Right, but this the reboot for this series is like they really Who the fuck is writing this. This is amazing. Yeah, that's why I really, um, I mean, I really give it to them because it's so easy to mess up, and it's so easy to let the wrong people like Zack Snyder. Um... <laughs> hey man, I don't know. You might not want to piss anybody off. <laughs> statements um, getting too early. So it's so easy <laughs> to get the wrong people and get off on the wrong foot and. I mean, I like the first. So the first one was Rise and then Dawn. Yeah. 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 Right. So Rise, I thought was fine. Then Dawn was like, wow, this is this is like Man, really good. Yeah. So you know, great. It's epic. Yeah. Everything, yeah, everything took yeah. a step up, and uh, you know, technically and story wise. And so yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to the new one. And it, even if that was it, if it's just those three, it's like, wow, you actually, like you say, yeah, you actually did it. It you should, actually revived something and you did it properly. It should be like the silliest thing you see all year. It's talking apes yeah. with guns riding horses, but it's right. it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. you, you walk out of the theater like crying and like you laugh yeah. and cry. Everything. It was so so amazing. I think that guy Matt Reeves, who did oh, yeah. the latest one and the yeah. last one, did let the, let me in. Yeah. And what else has he done, nerds? <laughs> uh, he did Cloverfield, right? Like that was yeah. his big he directed workout. Cloverfield, Cloverfield, yeah, right, yeah. So I think that guy, not, not that he, ha- not that he hasn't gotten attention, but I yeah. think he's comparatively he he's uh, not even underestimated, but like undervalued so far. Um, because yeah. I, I think all that, all those have been great. He um, pumps out a good bat flick. Man, it's all I, over. I'm thrilled. Um, he's yeah. gonna have a yeah. he's doing life. It. Yeah. Uh, the only one ready, but Batman sent you yeah. over the edge. What were you gonna say, Stefan? Let I was gonna say, let me uh, that he did that kind of underwhelmed me just because I love let the right, right one, one in so in. much. Sure. Yeah, but 
but but he's a badass man like that batman yeah. news and then every time i see the trailer new war for the planet of the apes i'm whoever i'm with i nudge him i'm like yo this dude's making <laughs> yeah, the next right? batman <laughs> you better recognize and so it's like really exciting you know anyway yeah. sorry. i think and let me in uh you know because there'll be times when you'll see the stuff it'll just show over it's and good. over on on effects or whatever yeah and, right uh, and watching that again again it struck me that you know there's 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 certainly no big stars in it and it keeps that kind of same somber um yeah just that kind of somber melancholy atmosphere as let the right one in and again I, it's like how did this get made how did they not mess this up right because yeah. it just seems ripe for, well, yeah. for that all film, the time I think it was good not to set it like in a swedish like or like an environment that was snowy he was like oh we're gonna set this in like new mexico or some shit yeah something and just like do something different and well like the totally different feel and a different look but it's the same concept right like i could have seen it getting like the whole platinum what is it platinum dunes is that Michael Bay's company uh, that's remade yeah, like yeah. some of these horror yeah. films? So they've all got this kind of golden glow to yeah. them, and uh, and and this Did didn't do the Red Dawn remake. No, no, oh, but yeah, just God. that kind of thing. That was on the shelf for like two <laughs> years. Anyway, uh, whole, whole, whole conversation. So, yeah, hold the conversation. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, but yeah, yeah uh, but I think that guy and Cloverfield and um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, like you said, I think. Uh, if he knocks it out with Batman, which I think he will, I think he's such a great choice. Um, Solid choice, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm yeah. really looking forward to that. Um, I don't talk about any of my movies. Reeves doesn't get more work. Like he's like uh, he he just got Batman. He's got got a good job. That's a good gig. Yeah, I know. He's gonna be writing it too. I think. Damn, I knew he was good when he did Cloverfield. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, "Shit, give this guy no, something I was, good. Give him a fucking comic book property now." Yeah, I was really impressed with that. Really impressed. We did kind of the questions about your past a little earlier, but I want to go back to that real quick. Um, who did you admire most growing up? Admire? Um, well, my, myself. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand the question. Um, no, well, my dad, of course. Um, but like, like heroes? Like, who are my heroes? Uh, it could be, you know fake or a real person in your life uh well john well lon cheney for okay. one and and then when i actually managed to mentally separate that there was a lon cheney senior and junior <laughs> and i realized that lon cheney senior was the guy who'd done like you know phantom of the opera and hunchback of notre dame which actually those films were really kind of inaccessible because they were um well, they're silent film. They just weren't shown on TV. You had to go to like a you know mm -hmm. revival theater, art house, yeah, to see them. But it was like, wow, this guy acted and he did makeup. And uh, so him, John Chambers, who did Planet of the Apes, okay, um, Planet of the Apes, and Island of Doctor Moreau, the uh, Burt Lancaster, okay, version. That was another huge one when I was a kid. Um, and those makeups, the you know, it's not too far from a Wolfman. The animal right. you know, makeups, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so that was a big deal. So John Chambers, um, oh, gosh. Comic book guys, again, Joe Kubert, um, I really admired. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, obviously I didn't really have, the, you know, the usual kind of sports guys, but. Um, Were you seen as a weird kid in school? Oh, no. Are you kidding? <laughs> comic books, magic, ventriloquism. I was like super cool. 
<laughs> I was, I was, I was like, I was like, I was like prom king, you know? Um, yeah, no, I, I guess so. I mean, of course I didn't think I was weird, uh-huh. but yeah, I was totally not, normal to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was these other dorks who were weird. Um, <laughs> oh, drama. I was in drama. Oh, wow. Okay. You, know? you were so popular. I, I was ticking off all the boxes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so no, school was, and I was actually, I was a pretty good student for a long time. I don't think it was until like high school. And I, I realized that the more, the more concrete I was and what I was going to do, um, the less interest I had in school. Okay. And, uh, and again, I was, I, I was a really good student and the teachers liked me because I was such a quiet little geek. Um, <laughs> and, oh, I, I would set up a younger, I would, I would be one of those kids who set up the audio visual. Oh, equipment oh yeah okay yeah. AV club. yeah exactly another it's box not, another yeah box. right <laughs> there you go another another feather in my cap <laughs> um and so yeah i just muddled through uh the last few years of high school one teacher i know only gave me a passing grade just because she knew it would be silly to to flunk me because at that point you're all you're already like I'm just like make monsters. Yeah, i'm done with this yeah, yeah it was shit, screw everything. this i mean i just plain hated homework anyways and <laughs> yeah. um i just wouldn't do it and <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't do it Jesus, and uh, just, uh, just so it was a lot of yeah <laughs> yeah i was a real rebel um <laughs> i didn't do no and so and yeah, i have I, a college degree anyway sorry what's that I said I didn't do no ho- uh, homework either, and I have a college degree. So, <laughs> right? Oh, in college, yeah, that was Best my my grandparents. My um, on my dad's side, they were very. There was no, to them, there was no question of not going to college. That was just all their boys. Right. My dad and his yeah. two brothers had gone to USC. Um, that was if you were going to be anything in life, you had to go to college. Yeah. You know, and. So during the last couple of years of high school, I had to keep like trying to get out of like, you know, going with my, my, uh, grandpa Dovey to, it's like, Oh, if I might, you know, come down, they lived in Newport beach. So okay. they weren't all that far from us, even though I actually, actually I can't remember how that timed out, but whatever it was, let's go check out some colleges. And it's like, I knew, <laughs> I just knew in my bones, I wasn't going to go to college. I was kind uh-huh. of, I wanted to get out of high school and, uh, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> get to uh you know get to la and um and start you know i i knew what i wanted to do i wanted to start getting getting work in film um but so it was so secure circuitous how that ended up because i mentioned earlier that um my late teens well mid-teens whatever i was living in big bear okay and uh my maternal grandmother my mom's mother lived in Walnut Creek where I actually also spent a lot of time growing up. And so when I was like 15, I spent most, a good chunk of the summer up at Walnut Creek. And, um, I really liked it up there. And again, a lot of autonomy. My grandmother's working. Um, she trusted me. So I could do whatever I want. Go see, you know, go to see a movie, do this, do that. And, um, and again, all this stuff, all these films, this new film, Star Wars, was coming out soon. And, <laughs> you, know, you could feel the stuff kind of was starting to kind of bubble up. Was that the buildup to the first Star Wars? Was there a buildup? Uh, there was, but it's so... Was it a Starlog magazine at the time? or? Yeah. I remember one thing I distinctly remember reading was um, the very first thing I think I saw on it was in Starlog. And it was just like a quarter page article. 
and they had a couple of images, Ralph McQuarrie paintings. Okay. And it's one, you guys, I'm sure I've seen it. It's one painting. It was so early on that um, the painting he did was so early that uh, it has a stormtrooper with a lightsaber. Okay. You know, a stormtrooper yeah. with a lightsaber. Yeah. Yeah. But I saw yeah. these, these two images that were, you know, like three times bigger than a postage stamp. But still, I mean, they were, you know, I'm not lying because it turned out to be Star Wars, but seeing them kind of went, wow, you know. That looks pretty cool. So in the in the non-internet geek world, it was yeah bubbling up. Already. And there was a lot. I mean, there was Starlog. There was Fantastic Films. There was there was a lot. There was a lot of magazines and stuff out there. You had to hunt them down, but you could get them. That's great. And um, so the only thing was it was from the guy who'd done American Graffiti. And <laughs> so that coupled with that, if you like science fiction film, you just disappointment was just your lot. Life. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. were all bad. They were all bad. Yeah, you know the last good one maybe was like two thousand one, uh-huh. or right, yeah. uh, Silent Running maybe, but they were just Ooh. bad. You know, just bad. And so this film from the guy who did American Graffiti, you know, I don't know. But now, since that summer of seventy seven and everything that's come after that, it's really hard to separate what I know now from what what little I knew back then. But I do remember mm-hmm. seeing that little article. And you saw some stuff here and there. And again, nobody really had ever heard of was going to be in it. And so, yeah. And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, there was before Star Wars and then after Star Wars. Yeah, right. And um, with the anniversary this year, I think I wrote something about it that um, as big as you might have thought it was, you still can't imagine. (laughs) You can't imagine how pervasive and how huge star wars was right it was like everybody had just been infected with this disease right you know yeah it was everywhere it was everywhere in pop culture it was it was everywhere yeah and i'm holding back tears right now (laughs) just that just just that window (laughs) yeah 77 words release like those images you know what i mean it's just like and yeah and i do and i do remember Oh, so yeah, I was t- I was telling my life story. Um, <laughs> back to me. Back to me. Um, and how Star Wars affected me. Um, <laughs> no, I'd been so living. Live okay, so I'd mentioned that, uh, my family had moved to Big Bear to to uh, whatever for, for change. people not familiar with California. Oh yeah, that, sorry. Well, Big Bear is like a you don't ski have lodge any, you don't have that many listeners. Come on. <laughs> I've got some on these two. I've got some. I'm <laughs> okay. from Georgia. So oh, some, okay. Some some family and friends of family. Yeah. But Big Bear's a ski lodge. Uh, it is. Area, it's right? it's the mountains. It's uh it's it's south. Uh, it's in San Bernard- San Bernardino, which is uh, south west of us, and um sorry southeast. And it's the mountains. It's uh snow and you know yeah one skiing the, and all that. One of the things you hear whenever. It, you move here people try to sell you in california it's that you can go snowboarding one day and then surfing the next it's true which is basically in true. the same day if you were like yeah. crazy and actually wanted to do that yes um, there probably people that probably are people that have done that yeah yeah and it was and big bear was you know for having grown up in garden grove which is very very uh much pretty much you know southern california kind of community um and then to be living in big bear where yeah there's like snow for like five months out of the year and we all learn to ski and so that part of it was cool, but it's very big bear. I think is really great. If you're either in your late teens, which I was not, or if you're retired. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. it's, it's just, yeah. I mean, it's just not, you know, it's a tourist kind of a place. <clears throat> if you're an avid skier, I'm sure it'd be great. But mm-hmm. even then 
it's not exactly you know it's not exactly world world class slopes. Um, it's Southern California. Ultimately, it's yeah. I mean, it's got the high level elevation, right? So they they do get snow, but yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, and there's enough snow to where you can get sick of it really quick. I mean that. You know, I don't know if any of you guys know, but I mean, it's a major operation just getting from here to there when there's three feet of snow. These guys are both oh, yeah. in the Midwest, so they, yeah. Oh yeah, well, yeah. We lived in Chicago for uh, oh, like well, six years, yeah. so know so this all is about nothing. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that Colorado. Got old. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. So that got old pretty quick. Um, but so I'd, I'd spent one summer in Walnut Creek, and um, I really liked it, and. You know, it's easy. It's hard to encapsulate because there's a whole family dynamic thing going on. But basically, I came back from Walnut Creek and steeled my reserve and told my mom. I was 15. I told my mom that I wanted to move out and move to Walnut Creek. And of course, she said no. <clears throat> but I worked on her and worked on her. And um, uh, I eventually made my case. And to live so, with your grandmother. Yeah. Just because and, you like that area more than where you were. I like that area, and, and Walnut Creek was kind of like what it sounds like <clears throat> back then. Now it's this like weird hub. It's like it's like the weird. It's like the East Bay like business hub. Okay. Um, it's amazing how many companies are based there. It's become like this ritzy community. Um, but um, but at the time, you know, it was provincial, I guess. But it was still better than Big Bear, and it was near San Francisco. Oh, okay. You know, it was. It was better location. It still wasn't LA, but it was mm -hmm. better. So I did. So I moved to, to uh, Walnut Creek, and that's where I saw Star Wars and Close Encounters and Superman, and yeah. um, and finished high school, and uh, and that led. It turned out it wasn't LA, but being in the Bay Area was what led to me getting my first job oh, on yeah. Gremlins because that shop was in Marin County. Oh shit! Okay. So yeah, so it turned out to be a pretty good choice. It worked out. Yeah, but. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, that's, uh, Star Wars. That whole everything, everything. Star Wars and then Close Encounters was um, was yes. just, was something else. You know? I mean, it was great. My first tattoo is a Close Encounters tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine too. Um, yeah. No, sorry, what's it up? What's it up? Um, you remember when uh, Truffaut was playing like one of the scientists, and they're like they're yeah. they're going through these hand signals. They're called solfege, oh, okay. musical notation. Yeah, it's like do re mi fa so la ti, oh, oh, and the five notes that are used in Close Encounters is re mi do do so. There's an octave right. change on the do do. Um, but signals Ted. Say it again. Like, the signals what you broke up a little. Oh, bit. I'm sorry. Uh, they um, what did you hear last? Sorry. The si it's signals or something. Oh, um, so they're, so their hand signs—they're called solfege. They're for like big choirs and stuff, like um, do re mi fa so la ti, right? Um, so I got re mi do do so on my arm, and that's the five different tones that are played. <laughs> and so, so I got I got the actual hand signs on. Oh wow, my that's arm. Cool. arm. Yeah, and wow. anyway, <laughs> yeah. So it's like when those aliens come oh, around, I'm just like you know, oh. it's in the defensive position, you know. So I can like yo. I, just yeah. don't eat me. Well, wait, look, look. Uh, You're prepared, dude. <laughs> oh, well, I spent <laughs> the whole year after Close Encounters came out. I was so entranced with well everything about it, but the uh, the spaceships. And I drew. I was one of yeah. those kids. I drew all the time. I was I, everywhere I went. I had a drawing pad with me. I drew comic book stuff, you know, whatever. But I managed to get a uh, an ink compass, which is like a really kind of a primitive 
thing, but it had like yeah. a little, it was a compass, but it had like this little well on a point and you would load that with ink and that's how you would make circles. And yeah. um, so I filled page after page with trying to capture images of those ships by using concentratic yeah. circles Absolutely. in black and white. Um, <laughs> cool. A ridiculous thing, but when you're a kid and you're obsessed, you just you do it. <laughs> You know, and uh, different kind of like trying to break up and use different size. I mean, you were just trying to somehow create that like that like eye filling vision, you know, mm -hmm, just these, yeah. these lights. Um, yeah. yeah, I still get when I, I watch the film every once in a while and there's one shot near the end after the mothership has come down. And then when all the ships come out, mm -hmm, you know, yeah. they all like come out of the clouds and there's one one like really distant shot. We're looking from way down the um, uh, the. Oh, God, what was the thing? The landing strip. And you're looking like back at the base and you see like over the yeah. base, you know, there's all these dozens of ships flying and they're flying past you. And yeah, yeah I still get such a thrill out of that. <laughs> oh, ah, it's great. I love it. Ah, yeah, love it. <laughs> love it. Awesome. Uh, did, did you have any um, over the years since since you've been working, any kind of disillusionment with the industry in general? Or... <laughs> yeah. Wait, did you, you were like a boy with dreams and hopes when you, when you entered and yeah. Yeah, no. And it, it, um, uh, I, I can and I will joke about it, but yeah, everybody does. That's why you meet these like hugely bitter people because they're doing, <laughs> they're doing their dream job and, and it's seemingly nothing but, um, disappointment. Um, I'm not saying it actually is nothing but disappointment, but their right. attitude is, I, I didn't I get everything I wanted. It's it's not it, it, everything I, I thought it saying. would it's be. Like, don't, didn't you fucking make it? Look exactly. what you fucking are right exactly. now. Exactly. But then they, they're... The expectation, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which I, I still remind myself of, and I think everybody... I would hope everybody is still like, you know, I'm making fucking monsters for a living. I mean, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, all right, well, there's two things. One is I think I've done, I think I've exceeded just through luck um, and hard work, anything I want, everything I wanted to do. The people I've met, the projects I've worked on, uh, when I look back, it's like, oh, yeah, I've done, I've done pretty well, I think. Mm -hmm. But... Um, early on, I mean, a little on Gremlins, and definitely, <laughs> definitely on Enemy Mine. Oh wow! Um, Enemy Mine was a soul-crushing <laughs> experience <laughs> in a oh, lot of ways. Oh man! Um, you bounce back from the soul crush. I did. I did. You have to. You have to. Everybody does. By any means. Huh? Um, yeah. But for one thing, it's just a huge amount of work. All these, all these films are. It's just so much work. And yeah, I was, don't think people. I mean, I knew yeah. a little bit because I've known about movies my whole life. Mm -hmm. But now that I've seen more of this process up close, you could be working for months on something that has like a frame and exactly. Movie, you know, exactly. There's yeah. so much. There's so much work, and there's so much, you know, frustration in. Um, and what gets used and what doesn't get used. And I mean, Gremlins was, uh, Gre Gremlins was like a golden, it, it was a gift. Um, you know, here I was yeah. this young kid, I wanted to work in film and, uh, 
I just, all I really had to do was call this guy, Chris Wallace. <clears throat> I've met another friend of mine, Blair Clark. We we're both huge monster makeup geeks. And he had Chris Wallace's number. And it's like, hey, you should call him. He's a nice guy. And Chris at that time was known for doing Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Exploding Heads, and Dragon Slayer. And it was a guy, he'd like kind of roared out of nowhere. He was doing this great work. <laughs> and now he'd left ILM and he had his own shop. And my friend Blair had his number. So I called him. Chris was really nice. Then, um, <laughs> no, Chris is a good guy. Um, and uh, he invited us up to see a shop, which he had this, this little shop in Novato, which is up in Marin County, which is north of San Francisco. And uh, yeah, he showed us around and he goes, yeah, you know, you guys, um, you guys should keep in touch because um, I think he already has some sketches and stuff of like, of like Mogwai. And uh he goes, yeah, awesome. hopefully going to be doing this this film uh, for Joe Dante. I was like, Joe Dante, The Howling. <laughs> and uh, Steven Spielberg is producing it. <laughs> and nice. um, it's got all these little puppets in it. I was like, oh, my God. It was, it was, <laughs> it was you know, it, it, that was everything at that point. And uh, so we did. Obviously, we did keep in touch. And uh, and finally, I was like, yeah, why don't you go? We're starting that, that, that movie, Gremlins. Why don't you guys come up? So... So we're, here we are. We're not even in L.A. We're in Marin County, which is beautiful. And we're working on this film, Gremlins, and we work on it just making stuff like six or seven months. And then I go down a couple times during production to help puppeteer. There was a, a core group of puppeteers, but I went down a couple times to help out. And then we almost all of us came down in post-production to do all the puppet stuff. So, I mean, there was just months of just puppet stuff. And... Um, so I'm getting the full movie experience. I'm like, you know, flown to LA and it put up in a, we were staying at the Oakwood garden apartments in Burbank there by Warner brothers. And you're going on set every day and <laughs> Hey, you're making small talk with Joe Dante and, and um, yeah, you know, it's great. You're shooting all this stuff. And um, Oh, and I get my hand in the movie. Um, I told you this, right? It's my, you have. when the scene with Corey Feldman and uh, Zach Allegan, Billy and Pete, and uh, they're, Pete's checking out Gizmo for the first time. Mm -hmm. Or no, he knocks yeah. over the glass of water. Okay. Yeah. He, he knocks over the jar of water. Yeah. Uh, that's my elbow. Oh, shit. Wearing, <laughs> wearing Corey Feldman's sweater because they shot that insert in post. Oh, wow. So that's my elbow knocking over the glass of water. And then when he goes, hey, nice. this guy's got that funny little stripe on his head. When you see the hand come in and tickle stripe, mm -hmm. that's that's my hand. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. That's yeah. awesome. So I was like, cool, my hand's in the movie. Um, <laughs> yes. It really was. It was like, wow. <laughs> so so we come back. We all come back, and we pack everything away. And it wasn't that long before we got the next job, Enemy Mine. And then summer of 84, Gremlins opens. And it's this massive, massive hit. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's this big deal. And people love it. And our boss is on morning shows talking about it. And there's articles about it. Wow. But you guys must know about Cinefex magazine. Yeah, I do. Well, you guys know as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. okay. Well, it was. Of course, now it's mostly all digital. But back then, it was like the. I mean, it was the same thing, but it was covering practical stuff. But it was mm -hmm. like the serious journal on okay. on effects. Yeah, and, totally. And um, so, of course, they do a story on on Gremlins, and and, <laughs> and my pictures in it. So it was like shit, you know got to work on a film and got training what to do and go on set and puppeteer and the film comes out and it's a big hit and we're all stars. And my pictures in the Cinefx. 
this this movie business is easy. <laughs> I just moved down here. And yeah, did this is easy. I didn't even have to move. I just I just went across the bay to, to Marin. <laughs> I was like, wow. So that's that's how you do it. That's great. Um, so okay. So but then Enemy Mine, which was another really great, exciting project, mm -hmm. and um, but it was again a lot of work. Okay, the big thing, the thing to know too on Gremlins and Enemy Mine and the Fly to a certain extent was most of us knew nothing. Okay. Yeah. I was brand new. My friend Blair went into doing mechanics and is now a big CG guy. Um, we knew nothing. Most of us knew nothing. It was Marin County, you know, in, in 1980. Um, Chris just hired people who were interested. Just hired his friends, basically. Yeah. Not, yeah. yeah. And, and fortunately, some of those friends were guys like Gary Pladek, um, who created or helped create a lot of the cloud tank effects, like in Close Encounters and Raiders. Cool. And John Berg, who John Berg and Phil Tippett were like stop motion partners okay. for yeah. a long time. John Berg did the the chess set, helped do the chess set in Star Wars. Cool. And yeah. uh, so there were some experienced Sabak. guys. And <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and there were there was a lot of people, fortunately, there's a lot of people who'd worked on Return of the Jedi and they were on the crew. So I mean there were some experienced people. But I mean, Chris and I will talk about it every once in a while. It's like there was fifty of us, and, and we're making the most complex puppet film ever made. You know, and most you, most of you didn't know shit. Not really. Talking. You know, I I never made molds before. I'd never run foam latex before, but I'm doing it now. <laughs> uh, it's the best so, way to learn. I'm sorry. This is the best way to learn. Just get in there and you do know, it. No, it really was. It really was. And the good part was that I didn't know what I didn't know. As far as I was concerned, I was an effects guy. Mm -hmm. So and so had trained me, and so I knew what I was doing. But what a great feeling! Yeah, uh, <laughs> but but still on that show, and on enemy. Okay, so here comes Enemy Mine, which has big monsters and uh, mechanical stuff, and it's got a a man character in a prosthetic makeup. Again, Chris knew about this stuff, and he brought in his friend Stefan Dupuy. Um, who also knew quite a lot, but again, it was a whole other bunch of challenges. And, um, and Chris had the wisdom. I saw so I was at that point, I was like 22. Um, Chris decided based on my one show to put me in charge of the mold shop. Um, <laughs> Great job on the gremlins. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, which again, having the, you know, being foolish enough, I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Um, and now again, I think back on it, it's like, why would he do that? I think he, he did it to push me. He, he did it to, I was a very young 22, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you weren't, you weren't mature. You were that <laughs> no, mature 22. No. Uh, I'm, not I'm like definitely a, a very young 33. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, so yeah, I think Chris wanted to, you know, to push this responsibility on, but even so, I mean, 20 by any measure, 22 is very young. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was not like the cool, you know, cool, capable guy you see now. Um, <laughs> I like the laughter. That's funny. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, a huge amount of, a huge, huge, huge amount of responsibility on that show. And, uh, we started off with a different director, Richard Longcrane, who had directed one of my favorite movies called Brimstone and Triacle, which huh. was not by any stretch, uh, I guess in a weird way, it is a genre film, but uh, it's this really small film with Sting and Denim Elliott 
and Joan Plowright. It's a really, it's actually a really good movie, but um, cool. somehow this guy got picked to do this movie, Enemy Mine, which okay. they were positioning as their big, you know, summer release. And uh, uh, Richard Longcrank, God, I, I first met him. Actually, he came on set for Gremlins. He came on set to talk to Chris, and I met him a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but um, he had a very uh, kind of reserved, more artistic vision of the film. And that kind of influenced all the designs of what we were doing. What he wanted, you know, even though it was taking place on this alien planet with alien creatures, he wanted it to look almost um, documentary style, you know, not in like a found footage way, but he wanted these things to really blend in okay. with the terrain. And he, yeah. he just wanted everything to look really natural. He yeah. didn't want it to be like, look at that incredibly alien bug. Okay. It would just kind of be yeah. there. And um, that's interesting. And Lou's makeup was still really extensive, but it was really different. It was very elegant. It had like metallic tones to it. You can find some black and white images of that. Um, but it all sounded pretty great. Lou Gossett Jr. had won an, an Oscar not that long before that for an officer and a gentleman. Mm -hmm. And Dennis yeah. Quaid was this up and coming guy. And it's like, wow, this, this, we're working on this like really classy project here. This is great. But again, a huge amount of work. There was this, the, the pit monster, the thing that comes up out of the sand. There were the kookas, which are all the bug things. And there was Lou's makeup and all the other dracs. And um, so we worked on that for months and months and months. And everybody takes, not everybody, but the, the group who went on location takes off for, I don't know if it was Iceland or Lanzarote, somewhere exotic. And they start shooting. We're still back in the shop making stuff. It's already been pretty exhausting. And then next thing you know, everybody's coming back. They've fired the director. Oh, shit. They're shutting down production. They're going to find a new director, and they're going to retool. They're going to start from scratch. Well, not start from scratch. We we were told that they would, they would probably only change the makeup. Okay. And the other stuff would stay the same, but I'm sure the director would probably want to redesign the makeup. <clears throat> so, okay. Um, so, yeah, everybody comes back, and... Uh, so it was another, <laughs> I mean, to me, it seemed to last a lifetime, but, um, so there was another long process and test after test of the makeups. And if you really look, you'll find all these crazy variations, things where they're like patterned, you know, slightly reptilian, but these like patterned make, uh, designs for loose makeup. They went through like every permutation, um, trying to find something that the new director, Wolfgang Peterson, mm -hmm. uh, liked. also. I can't remember where it, where it fell. Maybe we'd already seen the never-ending story. And so that didn't exactly... Uh, you guys were younger, so maybe you really dug it, but that didn't exactly fill us <laughs> with hope. Yeah. That, I mean, that was a big film for our generation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when we saw the trailer, being a bunch of creature people, when we saw the trailer for that, it yeah. was like, holy cow, what yeah. is this? This is amazing. The film, not so much, but... Um, <laughs> So under Wolfgang Peterson, we ended up redoing every single thing. We redid the pit monster. We redid the kookas, the bugs. Um, we obviously we redid Lou's makeup. But you like the original designs more? I wouldn't even. I, I like the original designs of the other things more. Lou's makeup, frankly, they were both really really good. Okay. The new one was really good. The old one was really good too. Um, really great. So now, so now we've already done the show, and now we're doing. It again <laughs> we're doing it again but different and it, and ah uh, well you can see how i'm <laughs> like slumping uh yeah. it was 
it was just so much work and there were so many late nights and and um on both projects on this both is when versions. hollywood wasn't easy anymore no and <laughs> and, and just the, the grueling like i said the grueling soul crushing um you know and and i didn't feel like i was doing my job you know running the mold shop i didn't feel like i was doing that very well and to be fair i didn't feel like i was getting a lot of help from from the higher ups either it, it, it's just i remember this wasn't even on the second one, I don't think. I think this was on the first one. We're doing all the background drac arms and legs, which are just latex, gloves and feet. And uh, Stefan Dupuy, who we're lucky to have, because he's really brilliant, he's still working today and doing incredible work, um, had designed this paint job where these, these arms and legs that were like airbrushed. And then we had this kind of like, almost like black ink that we had to brush on them and then wipe off. And the black would go in all the nooks and crannies and but it was incredibly hard to get it consistent. And we were, were a few of us were up like 24 hours and we're getting dopier and dopier and everybody's coming up with like, all right, here's, here's what you do. Wipe it on with a damp sponge and then use the other side of the sponge and then wipe it off. And we'd be like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that does look good. So all of a sudden we would start doing it like that. Mm -hmm. And then somebody would go, no, 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 here's what you do. You do it with a brush and then you wipe it off with a dry rag. So we'd start doing it like that. <laughs> and, and so we'd come in in the morning and Chris has talked about this because the feeling of him coming in the next morning and we're all just like dead and him looking at this box of pieces and having to reject them all. Oh shit. Cause they don't look good. Yeah. And, uh, it was, it was just hard. It was hard, hard, hard. And, um, you know, when you're faced with those kinds of late hours and you're sleeping at the shop and, uh, just everything, uh, and, and again, in the all right, one good thing about that is it really forged that show in particular. Really forged my determination to to never mess up again. I still did because I still didn't know that much. But that feeling of coming into the shop yeah. in fear because you don't know if that thing that you poured the night before is going to be set. It's all mold making terms, but. You don't know if your silicone is going to set. You don't know if you're going to be able to open your mold. Feel, feel free to not dumb down anything. Okay. Just yeah. Well, fortunately, you guys have seen Face Off. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and on that show Face Off, I don't watch it, actually, but I know like the first season, and I hear they still will go to open a mold and like the mold cracks, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And it, it's that, you know, they say you learn from your mistakes. Then I learned everything <laughs> on those first few shows because it seemed like nothing but mistakes. You know, and and so I really made an effort to like learn, learn as much as possible and get as good as possible. So I never had to face that. Um, but in any case, the uh, so you asked if um, about my enthusiasm or. or yeah, your disillusionment through disillusions. I, I, I think I, I swung really far that way and then I got on more of an even keel. And I think part of it, too, was and I still see people that do this, people my age. I stopped counting on the final film to give to validate uh -huh, what I had right. done. You, you're just, you're setting it. Most of the time you're setting yourself up for failure and it's like, you know what? Just enjoy the process. Did you like the final product of enemy mine? Only kind of. Yeah. Not really. To me, it wasn't worth all the effort that we put oh, into it. Yeah. I've only seen a few. It's my personal story with this movie. I've only seen a few movies on TV. Mm -hmm. I've, I've never been that person to flip through and watch a movie at random. I've always kind of planned mm -hmm. when I watch a movie because that's two hours. That's a lot of time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's longer with uh, with commercials, right? 
But <laughs> yes, I was a kid. I think it was on Disney or some shit. And I, w- I was just hooked. I was, inc- I, I thought it was just amazing. I loved I that movie. Have. Yeah. I, I stopped. This, this, this movie is in the like three or three, four or five movies I've seen on TV because it just really? it, was, it it got me that much. A lot of, um, yeah, a lot of people. I don't know when it first started for me. Probably like fifteen years ago. I'd start running into people in the business which, <laughs> who had seen some of the stuff like that when they were kids. And I was like, oh, my God, you know. Well, you're like, oh, you like that? It's like that well, that kind of and just the idea that, that uh, like, uh, this one guy, a good friend of mine, Brian Van Dorn, I first worked with him back in the 90s. Somebody mentioned something about my working on Lost Boys. It was, his head kind of jerked out. He was like, <laughs> Lost Boys? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I worked on that. And he's like, wow. God, that movie scared me when I was a kid. Or it scared me. It's like, what do you mean it scared you? Because it's not a very scary movie. But he was like nine when he saw it. Now he's like an actual grown-up human being working with me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that happens more and more. So yeah, for for, so like Enemy Mine, a lot of people remember that really fondly. But um, yeah, I just thought I just thought it was okay, and I thought. See if they were going to remake something, I would say remake that because there's still a really good story. Right, you know, at the heart of it, it's yeah. a really good tale. Right, yeah, that'd um, be a cool reboot. Matt yeah. Reeves, I would definitely see that. Movie. Yeah, Matt Reeves, um, get on that shit. Yeah, <laughs> but make that Batman first, then yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Let's get so Batman, yeah, Batman and, on track. And it was really hard after Gremlins because <laughs> Gremlins was such a hot. Uh, you started on a high note. Yeah, yeah, the best possible experience. And um, so then, Amy Mine was like, "Oh my god, that was again. That was like two, almost two years of your life," and. <clears throat> and I was living in LA when the fly came out. I gotta say, because I read that back then, I was reading every script for every film I worked on. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't that. I, I, the The idea of what to me the fly was going to be didn't match the film. Oh, shit, so I was yeah. actually disappointed the first time I saw the movie. Oh wow! Okay. And I had to see it again huh. and again before I was like, I don't know what I was thinking. This film is great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what a great remake! <laughs> yeah, really amazing. And um, that was the first time where I'd heard about a project well before I started working on it. And I okay. heard about it, that David Cronenberg was going to do a remake of The Fly. And I was like, God, that'd be fun. It got to the point where you were yeah. you would read a star log and then you'd be like, oh, shit, I'm, hopefully I'll get on this. I one. would, yeah. yeah. And I was like, God, that'd be great. And then what do you know? Chris, Chris Wales ended up getting the job. So that was pretty cool. Got to, you know, I didn't go on set for that either, but I did get to meet and, and chat. A little bit with David Cronenberg. Uh-huh. And, cool. uh huh. Cool. That's awesome. Meet Jeff Goldblum. He's a really great guy. Um, yes. And that was, That's and again, the whole thing was more of an education. <laughs> now we were doing, you know, a guy in a suit, which we had done a little bit on Enemy Mine, Enemy Mine uh-huh. but this was, you know, more ex- extensive, more extensive makeups. So everything, again, was a, was an education. And, um, and then the fly, the fly, um, turned out in the end to be another great experience. It was really acclaimed, uh-huh. you know, really critically acclaimed. Uh, did really well at the box office and, uh, and it won the Oscar for best makeup. Right. So that was pretty cool. You Have you been in the Oscars? I have not. Oh, okay. So um, I went down, I was watching it with a few friends. The Oscars, the year the fly was nominated and I expected that legend, right? Yeah. That legend Tom is going to win. Yeah. 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 Um, because it was just, you know, I think I would still say that the work in legend was superior. Um, 
you know, a lot more of it. Vomit scene though. What's that? The vomit scene. The vomit scene. Yeah. See, but that was a makeup. That was a that was a a mechanical effect. But but darkness, you know, darkness and legend. That come on, that beats everything. Oh man. I don't know that fucking fly suit, man. Yeah. So good. (laughs) But um, yeah. So I thought legend was gonna win, but. Me and, and a couple of other people had worked on the flies. So when, when they said Chris Willis and Stefan Dupuis, we just exploded. Like, oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> and we ended up going. We were not far. Wherever we were in L.A., we weren't that far from Westwood where we knew Chris and Stefan were staying. So we ended up meeting them back at the hotel and got to, like, kind of heft the Oscar, which is, like, super duper heavy. <laughs> and, um, and the guy I was with, I was with Mike Smithson and his girlfriend. And we get to the hotel. And we go through the lobby and we get in the elevator and Mike gets in the elevator ahead of me and we're kind of, we're all giddy. It's like, wow, we can't believe it. We won. And, uh, and Mike gets in ahead of me and I'm looking at his face and his face kind of changes in a weird way. I couldn't say what, but just weird. And then I get in the elevator and I'm still looking at Mike and then I look, there's somebody else in the elevator with us. It was Dustin Hoffman. Oh shit. Nice. <laughs> yeah, That's right. awesome. So I look over at Dustin Hoffman and I look, over at Mike, we just both burst out laughing because <laughs> it's so surreal. It's like, of course, we're in the elevator. We're th- oh, I'm sorry. For a few kids who don't know, Dustin Hoffman used to be a really famous movie star. <laughs> He's a great actor. Um, but yeah, we were cracked up. Dustin Hoffman looked at us like we were nuts. But um, yeah, so there you go. So another high. And, and like I said, it just took so long. It's like you know, it just... Forget about the final film. Yeah, I mean, you hope you you hope everything's good. I hope, you know, films I don't work on, I want them to be good. But um, yeah, you better find something in the experience of working on it that you like, right? You know, and if you don't like that, you, you better ask yourself why and and change it um, because that's you know that's your life. That's right. you know seeing the movie is one night, right? So, but spending six months on a project, um, you know, you should be getting something out of that, right? Um, and not wait for validation from the, from the final project. But, um, but yeah, again, I think everybody, you know, everybody gets burnt out and everybody's at, at every level. Um, you work on this thing, whatever it is, this beautiful, amazing creation. And again, you're still waiting for that validation because you want, now you want people to see that mm-hmm. in the film and then you'll get the whatever from people, right you know? And it's not there, or it's been, it's you know, it's been cut out, or it's been covered up with digital, or it wasn't shot right. Right. And it's like you know, you just you don't have control of that stuff. Right. You got to let it go. So, yeah, I totally. think I found. Hmm? Totally. Yeah. So I think I've tried to find, um, kind of an even keel, and um, yeah, and and just look for. I mean. Again, look for projects. I don't really look for stuff. Stuff just kind of happens. But um, um, I've tried to, I've extricated myself out of uh, shops or scenarios where I just wasn't having a good time. Right. Because there's really no point. Uh-huh. You, know? you have to enjoy the process. Like you, you do. Saying. You know, I, I, you know, I mean, enjoy it. Not that I, you know, you've seen me. I don't exactly come in singing <laughs> into work. <laughs> but I mean, you, you, you've, you've got to find, you can't wake up miserable every morning, like I've done in the past. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where you just wake up hating life, you dread going in. Yeah. It's like, is this what I got into? I didn't get into filmmaking to feel bad all the time. Right. You know, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, and there's been, 
there's been some real highlights. There's, you know, you get, you can work on a string of real duds for a while and then something comes along that will surprise you mm-hmm. or, um, you know, does kind of validate all the work you put into it. But again, it's so few and far between. I always think of, of Bicentennial Man. Okay. <laughs> Bicentennial yeah. Man. I worked on that and not even that much because we were doing Bicentennial Man and uh, what was the Brendan Fraser? A Monkey Bone. Okay. I think that's right. Yeah. At the same time. Okay. At, at Steve Johnson's XFX. Mid 90s. Yeah. Mid to late. And two two really different projects and both really exciting in their own way. Um, you know, Chris Columbus, I forget what he'd done, the last thing he'd done, but he was coming off a big, pretty big film. Robin Williams was Robin Williams. Um, Henry Selleck, who'd done A Nightmare Before Christmas, was directing Monkey Bone. Okay. And you know, really unique and making a hugely ambitious uh, suit for Robin Williams. And we're doing all these crazy characters for Monkey Bone. But I still knew enough <laughs> to point myself as much as I could in the shop. I steered myself towards Monkey Bone because I knew, and it turned out to be the case, that Bicentennial Man was going to practically kill people. Uh-huh. It was it was nothing like that had ever been done before. A full hard surface robot suit, you know, with... You, you don't have some stunt guy. You've got, you know, and Robin Williams, you know, the star of the movie is having yeah. to wear this thing. Yeah. And it, it literally, it drove a couple people out of the business for good. Whoa. Um, it was, it was just, it was killing people. And, uh, so I forgot the point of what I was talking about. Uh, so Bicentum, oh, Bicentum, man. Yeah. So, but the, the work they made was, I mean, really brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think even now, if you looked at if you look at the Robin Williams suit, and there's a female robot. It's it's impeccable. It's great. I like the movie. Yeah, a lot of people do. I didn't. Well, I like the, I like the core concept behind it. That this yeah. like ro- oh, classic story. You know, it was um, is it Isaac. Uh, no, we, we did yeah. the three laws of robotics. Is that Isaac Asimov? Asimov. Okay, Isaac Asimov. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so one of his yeah, stories. It, has, it had some moments. Yeah. And so. so, but then. Uh, so I don't know. There was there was a case where I thought both of those could make a splash in their own way. I figured, you know, Monkey Bone it was going to be so odd, but it could be kind of a, a neat kind of cult, culty kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, Bicentennial yeah. Man, Robin Williams would be a big hit. No, not even close. Bicentennial Man was a dud. It flopped. Yeah. Nobody liked it. Yeah. And since they didn't like the movie, nobody even tried to pretend to like the robot suits. Right. You know, it's like this. Forget yeah. about the film. Look at the work. Right. But nobody who cares, you know? Yeah. Um, so and the monkey, monkey bone was just playing bad, <laughs> really bad. Um, I've tried. I've tried to. I watched it the one time I've tried to watch it since. It can't be done. It's a bad movie. Um, <laughs> can't be done. It can't be done. It can't, I, love- I, I defy you to watch yeah. Monkey Bone. Um, I think I've tried to watch it before. I was like, no. uh, I saw it in theater, so I believe. Uh, I feel wow. that about percent of movies. Wait, what kind of movies? 75. Wait, you're still 75% of, of movies. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. where it goes. So that was like a real double whammy because I think those came out. We worked on them at the same time <clears throat> and they came out about the same year. And, uh, so yeah, it's just the stuff will really it'll it'll kick in the teeth. Um, and one thing that's kind of good but not is that production time has has gotten so short mm-hmm. that whereas before you would work on something for like eighteen months, yeah, 
now you maybe work on something for three or four months, right? You know, maybe six months if it's a really big job. But yeah, um, but yeah there's 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 a thing going on right now in town, uh, the Dark Dark Crystal, the TV series. Yeah, that I know a lot of people of a certain age are so excited about, mm-hmm. and it's just like yeah. I, me personally, I could care less. Oh yeah, you know, I, I wasn't <laughs> a fan of the original. Um, <laughs> um, um, yeah, I'm just that it's not something I'm really looking forward to. I'm happy for everybody working on it. Yeah. Because it's a lot of work. And it's yeah. puppets. You know, who makes puppets anymore? It's great. Yeah. But um yeah, I just I don't have especially high hopes for it. I didn't see it growing up, but no. you know, somebody that we both know let me borrow the Blu ray like a month ago, two months ago. And saw it for the first time. I liked it. Did I you? think I probably would have liked it even more when I was a kid, but right. I could definitely see I mean, yeah, it was a good movie. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in seeing that Netflix series. Yeah, I mean, I'll watch it for sure, and and I just think it's great that somebody's going to take a chance on you know on a puppet, you know, a puppet TV show. Mm-hmm. So so that part's cool. I'm happy. I'm happy for the work, and hopefully it'll be good. I mean, there's been other stuff that I thought would never work that turned out to be great. So Netflix is a pretty know. good run so yeah, far. It's awesome. There's yeah. so much good stuff on. Last question that I have is. What advice do you have for people trying to become a mold maker or trying to get into the effects industry yeah. now? Because um, I know it's it's different from whenever you got in. But Yeah, it is. And it used to be the running joke for years and years. You know, it's like, what advice would you give? And it's always the same. Don't. <laughs> um, don't do it. <laughs> and for a while, that, li- that seemed literally true. I remember when I was at Monsterpalooza the first couple years and uh, before it really, I mean, it was already a pretty big deal, but before it really blew up and, you know, you meet people and that was my legitimate advice was like, there's really no point. What business, you know, mm-hmm. there's less and less work. Half the guys here are out of work. Um, the jobs we're doing are smaller. Uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's getting so tough and I don't think it's going to get any better. But uh, yeah. whether the business has actually changed or I was just wrong, uh, I'm meeting all these new kids all the time who are, who are in the business. And for the last eight months, uh, as far as I can tell, every shop is as busy as it's ever been. You no, know, that's good. Everybody is busy. That's good. We're trying to track down people. And um, it's like, all right, well, so maybe, you know, the rumors of its death are premature. Uh, find, so my advice would be, the other advice, which has always been the same, and I, I don't know that I would advise anybody to be a mold maker, but um, <laughs> even though it's a very fine occupation, um, but uh, really look, really look carefully. Cause again, everybody wants to be a sculptor, right? Really look carefully at what you're capable of. Everybody thinks I thought it was, a, I thought it was a pretty good sculptor. And actually, I think, like I said, if I'd stuck it out, I would have been a B or C level sculpture i would have been a sculptor i would have been like the fourth or fifth guy you call okay you know the guy who sculpts like the feet uh-huh. or the tentacles <laughs> and i would have been okay um but there are so many uh so many brilliant artists and sculptors out there and if you come out here if you come in thinking i want to be a sculptor then uh, you would have to be some kind of genius prodigy to compete with these guys, or you better be an inc- incredibly quick learner because the level of talent is really high. And that's true um, of some of the other stuff, you know, painting and mechanics. 
That's why a lot of people do get into mold making because the attitude is, and I got to admit, it's kind of true. Anybody can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody can good. do it. Show them a few basic things. Uh -huh. Yeah. You know, painting. I mean, you really got to know your stuff. Mechanics. You really got to know your stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So mold, uh, mold making is kind of the easy, you know, easy door to get through. But, um, again, and yeah, so my advice would be what it's always been. It's like, you better really love it. All of it, uh -huh. you know, um, because that's the only thing that's going to keep you going right through the, the late nights. And again, the disappointments and the, the, you know, uh, wh why, you know, I'm so good. Why aren't, you know, why didn't they call me? Mm -hmm. Um, that was another really smart thing I think I did was I just, I don't worry. I don't worry about who deserves what, you know, okay. like I, I should have gotten that chance. Why did so-and-so get the call for that job and not me. Right. You know, um, because I've been on the end of, of where I'm hiring people. And it's like, you know, if you think there's some master plan, like I've got charts and graphs on who to hire. <laughs> no, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll try the, you know, I'll try the usual guys that I like and who are good first. And then, you know, if I need somebody else, I'll go, Hey, anybody think of anybody for this job? And maybe one name comes up twice. Right. It's like, okay, yeah, that guy, mm -hmm. you know? So no, I don't, I don't, I don't keep your resume on file. I, you know, I, I, I don't think anybody does. No. Film industry. Um, they get, and they it's have headshots nothing, on file for actors. Maybe, right. Shit yeah. Like that. But, and, and it's nothing personal. Sometimes it is. I mean, if you've been, I think, I think I haven't gotten jobs because well, now know. it's like, you just, your friends will contact you on Facebook messenger. Right. You know? It's like, Oh yeah, I know this dude. They, exactly. They yeah. <laughs> You got to work um, for the next month. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's fine. Uh, specialize, you know, I'm sure schools teach you to try to be yeah. good at everything. Specialize. That's, I like that. Yeah. Specialize. Yeah. yeah. Because that's, uh, early on we were all effects guys and like I worked on house, not the medical TV show, but the horror movie uh -huh. yeah, or comedy so house. Um, and, um, <laughs> And I remember that that show, it was like, I'm a fucking effects guy because I sculpted, like I actually sculpted a fair amount. I sculpted, I went on set. Um, it, all of us were like 24, 25 and, yeah, and we were in LA and it was like, that was really, it was a golden time. I was like, I am a goddamn effects man. <laughs> um, uh, nice. But even then I primarily did molds and like, uh, you know, so-and-so would primarily sculpt and um but yeah so it's gotten more more and more regimented more and more um uh segmented so figure out what you can really do and concentrate on that because mm -hmm. if you just come in with this portfolio and it's you know a couple of masks and it's blood on somebody and it's like you know a little of this and a little of that um i don't know i mean you could get your foot in the door i guess but um try to come in with some really killer you know killer paint shop or yeah, killer molds or, mm -hmm. you know, something. But, um, the general, the days of like, just looking for general effects guys are kind of over. Right. I can see that. Yeah. Kind of assembly line. It is. Yeah. You know, it really is. Um, and big picture, I would say maybe give up <laughs> frankly <laughs> on, well, on doing practical stuff. I mean, the wave of the future, no matter what is digital stuff. That's just the way it is. You know, I feel like if, if the effects 
if every effects movie had the same caliber or you know technology is only going to get better and better like if you look at like Dexter nine and chappie wow. that's just uh, especially chappie I don't, I've never seen the movie actually, but I've seen the clips. I know what the effects look like. Right. And it's, it's just incredible. You, you, it you is. wonder like, why, why isn't everything like this? And if everything was, people <laughs> would really start to be out of a job more and more. No, probable. it's true. Fortunately, it's still, even after all this time, it's still really difficult uh, to do it. Well, I was watching Percy Jackson, one of them, which is not that old. Mm-hmm. Like five years ago, six years yeah, ago. Yeah. And the, uh, the digital stuff in that was shocking. You know, it's just, it was, everybody uses this, but it was, it was like out of a video game. It's like, wow, that is really crude. And a lot of it is, yeah. but yeah, you got, you got the stuff what is doing. I think they did Chappie and they did Dawn and War Planet. Well, they did all the apes films, but um, yeah, that stuff. Yeah. That stuff is so killer. You think it's going to completely die a hundred percent? No, not a hundred percent. Cause there'll always be. I mean, there'll always be people, either directors or there'll be, you know, somebody on the production side that knows, hey, you know, we don't need this. Yeah. You know, we don't need this whole digital thing. We can get a, you know, a guy in a suit or this or that yeah. for it. But yeah. Also horror films. <laughs> what's that? Horror films? Horror films. Yeah, exactly. Cool. There's yeah. all the, right. There's always going to be that stuff. There's always going to be the medical and the procedural, you know, cop shows. And they always need bodies and they always need operations. <laughs> And um, so that stuff will still be around. And super suits, that's, that's been a big deal. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, All the superhero costume stuff has given a lot of people work. Um, but the days of, like, if they made another Men in Black, well, for one, Rick Baker's retired. Not that there aren't other people who could do it, but I really wonder how much of that would be, um, you know, masks and makeup and guys in suits. Um, I think that at least there's nostalgia honestly i think nostalgia brings a lot of that back people are like yeah fuck cg i want a suit you know that's a big part I, of yeah. it but yeah. it, i think it's that now the generation younger than than us me maddie and stefan they, they grew up with mainly cg mm-hmm. so i don't even know i haven't talked to a whole lot of people that age but it's, right. I, they don't have nostalgia for people in suits and things like that mm-hmm. and also in our again in our age group we grew up with those star wars prequels which actually probably helped pr- the practical effects industry out a lot in <laughs> right. a way because people have such a bad taste about with the CG yeah. in those movies, yeah. the overuse, the gross overuse of it. Right. And when you look at the new reboot of Star Wars now, Force Awakens, all that, there was that move back to practical. Well, it only looks that way. Um, I mean, Phantom the Menace. people had a, star, a stormtrooper standing on a fucking rock that was CG. You that's true. You could have a suit for that shit. But when it comes to like the actual models and stuff like that, Phantom Menace, I would bet that The Force Awakens had more effect shots than The Phantom Menace did. Maybe. Had more, had more yeah. digital yeah, yeah, yeah. effect shots. I actually worked on miniatures for The Phantom Menace. Oh, shit. Just another weird fluke. Pod um, racers? What's that? The pod racers? No, I don't exactly know what I was working on. Um, <laughs> because, well, for one, I'm not a model maker. And they were so strapped for people. And they got a really large pool up there in Marin. And they were so strapped for anybody that uh, my friend, Howie, uh, who was working there, recommended me. And so they just brought me up for like three weeks. Mm-hmm. And all I did was pour up little detail panels. Um, don't really know what it was for. I didn't especially care. It was Star Wars. Um, and it was the first one, The Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. So I was like, God, this is so awesome. I got mm-hmm. to go to like, not dailies, but weeklies, whatever it was, but see some of the very 
for me, what was the very first footage, uh -huh. and, which fortunately was silent. Um, I think if I had heard like Jar Jar, because Jar Jar was in some of the shots, <laughs> I would have kind of wondered, huh, I wonder, what, I don't, I'm not sure what's going on here. Yeah. But, you know, there's Liam Neeson and it's Star Wars, yeah. you know, another very good lesson. <laughs> Even if I hadn't worked on it, the anticipation. Oh, yeah. For that. Everybody then, was going. Oh, my God. And that know. horrible. Uh, one great thing about ILM or Lucasfilm is once you're in the once you're on the books, mm -hmm. you're you're there, man. And so, however much later, again, I was there like three weeks, and to me, it was just a fun, fun little vacation, mm -hmm. you know. And um, I didn't have any illusions that I'd like worked on it. Uh, right, I, I had, but you know, it didn't really count. But time goes by, and they're going to have the cast and crew screening. I was an employee, so I get invited. So I go up to Marim, and it's like. You know, I mean, everybody, it's just that buzz, you know, mm -hmm. for people of a certain age, it's like, oh my God, yeah. Star Wars, new Star Wars. Yeah. And so the screening, the cast and crew is on like a Saturday morning, which is kind of a lousy time to see a movie like that anyways, but <laughs> it's on a Saturday morning. And I mean, I don't, I don't want to say how other people were feeling, but, uh, I was like shell shocked like that, afterwards. Yeah. I was like, well, you didn't know because yeah. it, that's impossible. It can't suck. Yeah. It, it can't. hasn't been one that sucked. Yeah. And, and so it was, it was like, wow, just, huh. You know, the phrase I heard over and over was like, yeah, you know, I, I really, I think I got to see it again <laughs> because, because nobody could believe they yeah, right? just seen what they saw. Yeah. 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 You yeah, know, yeah. nobody could believe that this thing that they'd been waiting for was really kind of bad, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, another, <laughs> another good lesson. But I, again, on that one, I enjoyed the process. It was like, you know, yeah. what was fun about the Phantom Menace that I got to go up to Marin right. and work, work there for a few weeks. And, uh, yeah, that was fun. So right. cool. Yeah. I'm done with my questions. Yes. You guys have some probably. Maddie Stephanie. Oh man. Did he cover it all? Uh, I don't, uh, I mean, I feel like we could just pick your brain all night. <laughs> uh, I don't know. There's not much left. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, I think it was good. It was good discussion for sure. Um, there's just like the little window, like you said, like a, into this like world. Monster. Technically in the industry. Yeah. And creature effects and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it's I'm trying to think. Well, like after Jurassic Park came out, um, everybody the the joke, which was not a joke, was like, "Well, we you know we've only got like five or ten years left." Oh right, yeah. Because Jurassic Park, it wasn't pretty good. Yeah, that was like it was like a hundred percent right off the bat. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. Uh, Best in theater experience of my. Yeah, it was really. I mean, I'll see. Uh, one or the other of those on TV, and it's like, God damn, that stuff still is really amazing. I was in, it came, it came out in 94, right? 95? I was yeah. in fourth or fifth grade. And I remember, I saw that in the theater, and the last shot where the T-Rex is roaring, and the, the <laughs> banner falls down, <laughs> I was young, but I remember thinking, I, I noticed for the first time that the shot was crafted. Mm -hmm. It felt like there, it was. I, I was a kid, but I, I could tell it was a composed, right? Because everything was so on purpose. Yeah, yeah. But in a good way, right? Yeah. That's one. I mean, that's 
one of my <clears throat> my my takeaways from the movie making movie <laughs> watching experience. Right. I have one question. Just looking at your IMDb. Yeah. Effect was what a effect exact on Dead Man. That's one of my favorite movies. The Jim oh, Jarmusch. Dead film. Man. All right. Now that's a that's a really great example of something that was really small. Yeah. And that turned out to be like super worthwhile. Um, Love that movie. Oh, okay. yeah, it was cool. Uh, yeah, I was working for Steve Johnson. I worked for him a bunch back then. And the the guy, one of his coordinators, Joe Fordham, uh, was a big film nut. And Joe writes for Cinefix now. He's one of the he's like one of the three or four main writers. Um, but Joe was working for him. And I was walking through the front office where Joe was, and he goes, Look, he's British. He goes, Look what just came in the mail. <laughs> And uh, was you know somebody dropped off or whatever, and it's like what? And I see, I look at the script and it's like Dead Man by Jim Jarmusch. And it's like oh, I hadn't even seen a Jim Jarmusch movie, but I knew who he was. <laughs> cool. This was you know, and this was not going to be Species Two or <laughs> you know one of the other yeah. pieces of crap that we worked on. You know, <laughs> this is going to be like a real movie, an art movie. Yeah. It's a real movie, guys. Yeah. So, yeah. Joe, and I, so Joe and I both leaned on Steve. I was like, what, uh, who the fuck is Jim Jarmusch? I never, what is this? It's like, Steve, you got to do it. Because it was, you know, it's like it's like an actor. And we're, if, you know, if all you've done is like Transformers movies, and if, yeah. you know, if P.T. Anderson offers you a film, you'd fucking do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was the same thing. It's like, this film, you know, this film, it's not about the effects. It's not, you know, it's not really going to do anything for us, but in a way it kind of will. It's, it's cool. Yeah. Um, so we did, and that turned out, that was another one of those things where it was a great experience and the film turned out well. We just did the gore stuff. There was the, the head um, squash. We did that. Oh, um, yes. Even that part <laughs> was cool because that actor had had a really funny role in midnight run yeah. so it's really cool to meet him and um and we cool. met uh we met lance henrickson he came in for some teeth casts we met oh my God. uh billy bob thornton <laughs> and that was before <laughs> billy bob thornton that was before he did sling blade yeah he'd, he'd just done a few things at that point and Tombstone? um or <laughs> give me the shits yeah, every time <laughs> what's that say it again Stephen. when he's uh, like whiskey don't touch the stuff. Damn. Whiskey don't touch the stuff every time. Oh. Yeah, it gives you the shits every time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> who? I think Gabriel. Yeah, Gabriel Byrne, because he gets he yeah. gets like shot in the chest. Yeah, it was just yeah. it was like bullet hits, cutthroat, squashed head. Yeah, just all that stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was the one, and so it was just. You know, kind of a smallish crew, a little bit of work, and then you just kind of forget about it. You go on to something else, and then it's like, oh yeah, hey, Dead Man's opening up, and it generally yeah. did turn out to be a pretty cool movie. Yeah. Well, you sometimes forget yeah. from the time you worked on it to the times in the oh, theaters. Yeah. yeah, on small stuff, yeah, yeah. Um, there's just, you know, not to sound like that that jerk who's like, you know, oh, that's where that hundred dollar bill fell. Um, <laughs> But you do. It's just sometimes there's just such teeny tiny stuff that well, you know, um, I gotta remind myself too. It's just you could yeah. be a year. I know the turnaround time's faster than it used to be, but it could be a year, right? Yeah. Just even now, yeah. Until you actually see it. And there's stuff. There's stuff that I worked on that. I mean, I did work on it, but it was so minor. Like I worked on the first X Men movie, but I worked on the 
Blackwing, the Blackbird, whatever their jet was. Yeah, yeah. There was a model yeah. of their jet. Yeah. And again, that was a job my friend Howie had as a side job. And I was up there at Christmas time. And I helped him with that a little bit. But that's when I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I did. <laughs> I mean, I did actually work on it. You want to go to the theater like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of just dinky, um, just small stuff that, that I'll forget about. But sometimes those small ones, like like Dead Man, um, I think because you're not as invested you know, in the process, you don't have time or, or you don't really you don't really get bummed out by working on it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. so that's kind of nice. And then you know, the film comes out and, and again, it turns out to be to be pretty cool. So like Dead Man was one. Lorenzo's Oil was great for a number of reasons. That was at mm-hmm. Rick Baker's. And again, when I was at Rick's, he was working on all this big stuff. And uh, we'd done like Men in Black and Eddie Professor. And there was a period where we were doing like Mighty Joe Young, which I did work on. But these smaller, Rick was taking on these smaller projects. He was just generally taking on more work. And so these, these neat little projects would come in like Lorenzo's Oil, which was for George Miller. The guy who'd done... Yeah. Well, of course, he did Fury Road later, but um, he did the Max, Mad Max and, and Road Warrior, and he did Witches of Eastwick. And um, yeah. so, again, this was like a prestige kind of film. And all we did was we did a, a fake body of the kid, and it's in like one of the last shots of the film. Very small. But I got to go to wherever they were filming. Where are the Three Rivers? Is that Pennsylvania or Pittsburgh? Uh, I'm not sure, actually. Uh, uh, well, wherever that was, where they were shooting. So met George Miller, which was like a big deal for me. Very, very kind man. Um, and we live cast a couple of kids and we used those to make the make the fake body. But that was a neat one. Um, oh, God. Uh, this horrible film called Critical Care, <laughs> which if you look it up, you can't believe you've never heard of it because of all the people who are in it and the director. Wow. Um, it was supposed to be this big, um, serious, not serious, it was comedy, but... It was, it was like a real film from a real film filmmaker, but it was awful. Well, um, who directed that? God, who's the guy who directed? Is he critical? He's very esteemed director. I'm it up now. Hold on one second. I'm getting like <laughs> Indeed.com and shit. Hold Sydney on. Lumet. Sydney Lumet. Oh, yeah, yes. Um. Who I guess he he bounced back because I saw some of his later stuff and they're pretty great. But yeah, Sidney Lumet and this amazing cast, and uh, we did an old old age makeup again at Rick's on Albert Brooks, and that was another one of those jobs. I didn't actually have any influence on it, but I read about it first mm-hmm. and that Albert Brooks was going to be playing this old doctor. And I was like, that means makeup, <laughs> and um, and it just so happened Thank that they Starlock, yeah. <laughs> no, that was the trades. It was like the oh, Hollywood that Reporter. was variety. It was. Because um, before the internet, I read those to find out what was going on. Right. Um, so, yeah, there was another one. Got to meet Albert Brooks, who was cordial, you know, nice enough guy. Um, but, yeah, it's that small stuff. Or Looper, um, where it's just like just this little thing, and it's it's used in the film like just right. Right. And, um, yeah, and you, you have nothing to be <laughs> you have nothing to be embarrassed about. <laughs> Like on some movies. Yeah. So. All right. I think that's that's it. Unless, Matty, do you have anything? Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Oh. <laughs> so, oh. well, I have you here. Uh, you worked on uh, the new Predator film? Yeah, which I can't tell you anything about. Uh, yeah. Can you say if you worked on the Predator at all? <laughs> yeah, I think Just... I can say that. 
Okay. <laughs> They've said, excuse me, eating a grape. Uh, production has said, yeah, they're using they're using guys in suits. Okay. Yeah, I've seen so. some pit picks and stuff. I was just wondering, like, if you got to work on an actual predator or if you were just like, yeah, working. No, on no, it was an actual predator. Which, again, not to sound like a heathen, I mean, I like the original film. Fine. Oh my god! Don't say anything else. I'm gonna hate. <laughs> it just did not. It just it did not excite me. Um, what the original film? No, I, th- I thought the original film was fine, but I, I was never like a huge Predator fan. I'm not. But you're a huge Alien fan. Of Alien, of... Alien and Aliens. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Not the one after the ones after. Yeah, that. I mean, I don't really, I don't really stick to concur. Yeah, I don't really <laughs> stick to <laughs> franchises, you know, just because they are. I mean, it's like you know, I like this film and not that. But I, I think it's just all the other Predator stuff have been so disappointing, but. If I was going to work on a Predator film, I'm glad it's this one because I think Shane Black is is pretty kick ass. So yeah. I think he's going to do something pretty pretty special with it. Not that I know. I mean, literally, I don't know anything about the story. Um, all I know is what we made. Um, but he's a very he's a really clever guy. So yeah. I got kind of high hopes for it. Have you met Love Shane the Black? Nice guys. <laughs> I have not. Oh, okay. No. Um, um, and then uh, <laughs> what did you do in Lord of Illusions? Oh I, yeah, I, I love that. Clive Barker movie. It's really? not that great of a film, but I really enjoy it as a fan of Clive. That Barker. was kind of fun, only because Clive Barker was such hot, hot stuff at the time, and I really like the idea of. I just I think it's a neat idea of marrying the the detective, you know, like the classic kind of detective genre with the supernatural. Oh yeah, I've done that a couple of times. There was a movie, oh, Cast a Deadly Spell. Oh yeah. With, um, with Fred Ward, yep, that's and it's, it's just a neat—it's a neat idea. It's a neat genre. Um, so, a few shops worked on that. I worked on that for Steve Johnson, and we did all the makeup. God, I can't believe I remember for Nix for the bad guy. Oh, sweet! So he wore like a, a prosthetic makeup, and we did a dead body of him. And then there was this really elaborate effect that Steve Johnson came up with, where we had like a not flesh color, but kind of a flesh color body of him. Mm-hmm. And with tubes, we kind of soaked the foam with like black ink or with, with something with black fluid. So the foam would turn black. Oh, cool. So when you play it in reverse, it goes from this kind of like dead black body to this one that's looking like more alive. It was kind of a neat effect. Um, but yeah, that was kind of fun. Just again, kind of a bunch of little stuff, but yeah, it was cool. All right, one last. Uh, what did you do on Dreamcatcher? Sorry, like you've worked on some films. Oh that God, like, I, I was almost going to bring that up earlier when I was talking about the horrible, the, the no, the nightmare, <laughs> the nightmare. Oh yeah, oh, the, really? the nightmare that was um, Bicentennial Man and uh, and Monkey Bone was Dreamcatcher, and I think League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Did those both come out the same year? I'm not for sure. Pretty close. Yeah. I don't know. Close? Um, Close enough, yeah. Yeah, like they're both 2003 on your IMDb. So, so they were the same year. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. they are, yeah. All right. All right, so go back to a year and a half before that. We're working on both. And uh, League was one of those lucky things for me where I'd already read the comics, and I was a huge fan, and I would have done anything to work on it, luckily enough. Steve Johnson got it, and I was working for Steve. So, so that was pretty cool. And I modeled, um, uh, modeled a lot of the Hyde 
Mr. Hyde stuff. Cool. You know, I find I think on the DVD there's like a gallery behind the scenes gallery, and you could see where some of the Mr. Hyde artwork. Well, I don't know if you could really tell, but some of it, the artist Constantine took photos of me and then manipulated that to make Mr. Hyde. And they did the test makeup on me and all that stuff. So that was cool. Nice. Um, and I knew, and I, I had to read that script because <laughs> I loved it so much. It's like, I just had to read it. And, oh man, that was, it was just, man, talk about seeing how the sausage gets made. <laughs> um, you could see that yeah. script. It, it didn't actually come with all the studio notes, but yeah. you could just tell that it was like, Nope, nope. Make him more likable. Make him more likable. Make her more likable. Just basically make them all likable. Um, Those the are comic, the script notes. What's that? Make this not more literally. But you can tell. Oh. You can tell reading the script that uh -huh. they they just you know ground it into into pulp and then mashed it back into kind of a pleasant shape. And it was like, there you go. That's like, but the comic is all about how they're a bunch of really kind of horrible fuck ups. Yeah. That are just barely a team, and they just kind of. They just kind of managed to get through it and save the day. Right. You know, even though they're selfish and monstrous and, and like evil, um, I was like, that, that's what was so compelling. But no, you can't have that. You can't have Sean Connery's character. He can't be a, a drug addict. Um, <laughs> so, all right. Well, that, that is what it is. But uh, Steve, um, Jesus Christ, I know him in real life. The director uh, directed Blade. Yeah. Oh, uh, Steve Norrington. Yeah, Steve Norrington. Um, Norrington. Who I already knew a little bit. I knew Steve slightly because he'd worked doing designs and stuff for Gremlins 2. So, because he used to be an effects guy. So I knew him a little bit from that. Um, but Steve, I thought, was a really clever guy. And they had a, you know, they had a great cast, Sean Connery and all these other people. Um, so, yeah, so that, yeah, that could be pretty cool. And then Dreamcatcher, Stephen King, and Lawrence Kasdan. Right. You know, was directing it. Um, God, I forgot he directed that shit. Yeah, and uh, and again, a pretty yeah. you know a pretty good cast, and we were doing some neat stuff for it, and it was like, yeah, okay. And I don't remember. I mean, it was the usual amount of hard work. I don't remember it being extraordinarily difficult to work on. Um, so that part was fine. that part was fine. <laughs> and then one and the other film, and then the other film come out, and oh my wow it was it was just like being punched in the gut um they were just both so bad like really bad like memorably bad <laughs> um, i have a small place in my heart for Dreamcatcher. i just oh, like the really? awfulness of it yeah i just oh, i love God. that first part of the film when they're just in the cabin and like yeah. all the animals run by and then they have to take like once it gets into like the weird alien shit i'm like ah you're uh. losing me but like, yeah. seen this movie, it's, it's like classic king like four dudes who've hung out and like yeah this, and I was like, oh, just stay here. Stay right here right. with, like, this cool gore. And they're like, I don't know. Once it gets uh, into, like, the military shit, I'm like, I can totally. lose interest. Well, I've warmed up slightly because it's been on TV so much. And there is still kind of a lot to like about it. I've warmed up a little bit to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, but that was another great example of where did that fucking horrible CG thing at the end come from? And that mm -hmm. was Phil Tippett, who, yeah. you know, those guys know their stuff. Right. It was like, that was, it was like, it was like a kid scribbled something. It's like, there's my monster. <laughs> I was like, all right, kid. Um, yeah, horrible design, horribly done. Um, that was that was kind of a, not that they'd, they'd ever necessarily asked us to do it. It was just kind of a slap in the face because we worked so hard on Mr. Hyde. Right. And I think really did a pretty good job. Yeah. For a guy in a suit, it's kind of amazing. Um, 
And that's like, wow, this is what you guys come up yeah, with? Yeah, definitely. That's the best effect in the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, seeing both of those, <laughs> it was, I remember telling a friend of mine, I'd seen Dreamcatcher, I assume, at a cast and crew, and nobody liked it. Um, <laughs> and I remember telling my friend up north, Howie, uh, because I think he'd done, yeah, he had, he'd worked on it at ILM. And uh, I said, he's like, so? I said, don't see it. He goes, come on, you hate everything, which is not true. I said, I'm telling you, I swear to God, do not, do not see it. And he's like, ah. So, of course, he went and, went and saw it. They had to hold, Howie didn't walk out, but they had to hold down a friend of theirs who almost did walk out. Oh, shit. The, um, <laughs> it, was, it was a scene where they're in the car and uh, Thomas Jane mimes getting a phone call. He holds the gun up to his ear. Oh yeah, and he's now as a phone to psychically communicate with his friend. Oh my god! <laughs> this this guy who'd gone to the movie with my friend just like apparently stuff like, that's it. <laughs> Starts walking off. And I'm like no 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 come on come on stay. But <clears throat> it was just so it. bad. The story was so cuckoo, nuts and inexplicably. Same good friend of mine, Howie, gave me the paperback like a year or two later. Uh, as like a stocking stuffer. And it's like, why would you give me the paperback when you know I can't stand the movie? But I thought, well, I do like Stephen King. Right. And, you know, who knows? Maybe they just went off the rails and it's it's a really good story. The book is as batshit as the movie. It's still like, <laughs> yeah. what is this? Aliens and psychic kids and this and yeah. that? It's nuts. So, so, yeah, the two of those, um, I think those really put the final nail in the coffin of my thinking that, you know, oh, I can't wait for the film. It's like, just forget about the film. Just forget about it. If you right. like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. And uh, yeah, God, those were horrible. <laughs> those, those were nightmarish. I've never seen get... Dreamcatcher, actually. No, it's, don't. <laughs> don't see it. This cast yeah. is, it's, it's only worth it. Yeah, I think it's on Netflix. You should watch it. Uh, it's just such a, so much waste of potential. Through. Yeah. Oh, yeah, jump. no, I totally agree with you. And I guess. Like... Or two. <laughs> because Lawrence Kasdan, for me, was the guy who'd done, um, you know, he did uh, uh, Body Heat, and he did, like, Silverado, and he did The Big Chill, and, you know, a real director. And, um, yeah. well, this would be great to see what this guy can do with a, the horror thing. And it's, it's just like everybody just lost their minds, and they just, they all forgot how to how to write and then direct and act. You know? are, are people pretty honest at cast and crew screen, screenings, or if the director and producers are there, is everybody kind of tight lips? Oh, no, it's always like, yeah, pretty good. Uh, yeah, that was great. But it's actually no. shit. I, you know what? To be honest, it's been so long because they just don't, they just plain don't invite us anymore. Um, <laughs> it used to be, back in the good old days, we got jackets. And we, I mean, we were part of the crew uh -huh. working in the shop. Yeah. So about two-thirds of the way through production, they would send, <clears throat> they would send us something. And it's like, order your jacket or order your sweatshirt. Uh -huh. or, you know, you can get a sweatshirt and a jacket, whatever. Um, so there were always <clears throat> T-shirts. There was always swag. <laughs> and um, that got cut back more and more and more. Then you had to be like on set. You had to have gone to set if you wanted to get something like that. Well, first you would just get it. They would just send you a jacket. Then it was like, you can pay for a jacket. It's like, okay. Then they just stopped asking you. Huh? And um, I think now there's, you know, most of the films we work on are these multi, you know, Two hundred million dollar productions. Uh -huh. They always seemed big before, but now they're they're huge. If they have screenings, it's like we can't. We're not going to invite everybody. Okay, you know, there's no point. Um, 
so you don't know if people are honest. I, but I can almost anymore. guarantee you they're not. You always, if nobody, frankly, nobody cares what, what, what I think anyways. So it's not like anybody important is going to ask me. But a lot of it too is everybody wants it to be good. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. like after Star Wars. Um, I felt really bad because there were a lot of people from Lucasfilm and, and ILM who'd worked on it for years uh-huh. on one capacity or another. I'd only worked on it for three weeks. Um, so my excitement was just as a fan. But um, generally, everybody everybody is at least pretty pretty bouncy and, and pretty positive about it. Um, I think there's probably only been a couple times when we walked out and there was just this kind of pall uh-huh. of, of death. Oh, you know, yeah. where you just, you knew what you, you know, there was no doubt. You just knew what you saw was, was awful. Species. Right. <laughs> that was one where I thought uh, you put all the pieces together. Giger designing the creature, which we built. Yeah. Um, That's cool. uh, ben Kingsley, you know, it was a pretty good cast. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a fairly, I can't remember, was it Roger Donaldson? Pretty decent director. I was like, wow, I don't know if this will be alien, but I mean, all the elements are there for yeah. for something like that. And it was just god awful. All know? right, I was I was probably twelve or thirteen when that came yeah. out. I liked it. Uh, I remember liking it. I don't know if what I, I think could, now. Yeah, Ain't no alien. No, it's no alien. <laughs> that Lee Joiner worked on that, right? Uh, maybe the second one. Maybe I don't know. In the shop, I think. Or, oh, you know, but, you know some, possibly. I mean, that's shit. so. Yeah, it's so I, many people. Maybe I'm getting this wrong, but anyway, I'm I went to Comic Con like two or three years ago. I was, went to a panel, kind of by accident too. When I'm at Comic Con, I'll take a lot of pictures, mm-hmm. walking around, take a video and stuff. And I should just get fucking tired from walking all day. Oh yeah. So I'll pick a fucking random panel to go to, just to <laughs> sit <depressed>. down. <laughs> sure. Let's go to this makeup one, and Lee Joiner's there. He mentions that he went to SCAD, which is the Savannah College of Art and Design. He's ten years older than, or ten or more years older than us, but mm-hmm. it's a college that we all went to. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, so I wanted to talk to him about that. I was like, so I talked to him after after the panel. I was like, dude, you went to SCAD? That's awesome. I did too. And he's like, great. He's like, then we start start talking about where we're from. He's from the small town in Alabama where I'm from too. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so fucking weird. That <laughs> small ass fucking theater that I saw Jurassic Park in, I think. Well, he definitely saw some some movies there, but he, it might have been even where he saw the first Friday movie, which is what changed his life. He said, "Right, the first what movie? First uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, okay, yeah. That's what did it for him, was that movie. Right. So then, you know, the rest is history, I guess. But it was just like it was really surreal. Surreal. Yeah. It's like wow, I thought we were just going to have the college connection, but you're from <laughs> this fucking small ass town too. It's insane. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. All right, and you just listened to Brent Baker, a special effects mold maker out of Hollywood, CA. Uh, next up, we're going to get into the news. So if you please, grab yourself some snacks. Nom, 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 nom. And a little bit of drinkies. I didn't have it in my hand. Sorry, that was my impression of a drinky. But come on and join us. <laughs> a little drinky. All right, we're officially in the news segment, but just a real quick uh, thanks again for Brent Baker. It was fucking awesome that he came on, and that was the first time. That's the first in the series for our, I don't know if we have a name for this yet, but let's just call it, uh, you know, the uh, Superhouse Special Effects Makeup Artist Interview Series. It's long Wait. as fuck, but there's going to be more. going to have more on? Yes, it does, Maddie. <laughs> 
Oh, I'm so excited now. <laughs> I'm glad I'm a part of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we have uh, some other things lined up, so uh, stay tuned for that. But again, thanks to Brent for kicking the whole thing off. Yeah, thank you very much. Oh yeah, Brent. Cool. Yeah, so stand-up guy. Stand-up bro. He's in the solid bro category. I don't know. I mean, he wasn't solid that big of a fan of bro. Predator, so that was <laughs> an interesting right, turn of events. But... <laughs> he probably likes Lady Hawk. That's all right. Oh damn, dude! Whoa, that's cool. That's hey man, cool, you gotta, man. What you gotta make Get fun of shit out of here. You gotta make fun of our guests. I apologize. I apologize. I really thought Brent Breaker was really great in answering yeah. my questions. About I was a dead man. I was texting Jim a good film. friend of mine who's good a big shit. Gremlins fan. Nice. All right. He was back to the news segment. Here we go. Um, first thing up, the biggest news of the uh, this week, this past week, is Star Wars news. Star Wars Han Solo film loses directors Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Ron Howard has been has replaced those two guys and will direct the Han Solo film. And they're like four months into production, some shit like that. Wow. Somebody go. Um, Steph. weird. Okay, Maddie. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, First I don't Rocky know. Road uh, for the Star Wars reboot prequel. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, this is, I think a lot of people are like, okay, they lost a the director or whatever. But if you follow movies, if you're like a movie news fan, you know this is fucking insane. This never fucking happens. This Usually, directors come and go in pre-production all the time. We've seen it with Flash several times, these same directors actually. Um, it happened with Wonder Woman as well. That's a lot of DC movies, but it happens with other movies too in pre-production. They're four months into shooting this yeah. fucking film, and they switch over for, because of creative differences. You guys didn't notice this beforehand. Yeah, I think this is a really pissed off. Like you know, they say they say because they're going against the script, you know, and like the script is a big thing. Yeah, which I, un I understand with like the whole idea of like the story group and you yeah. know the the solid canon no sloppiness you know what i mean it makes sense yeah and i could see where some Im improvisation would have been probably pretty valuable in the editing room you know right but i think it ultimately comes down to like like the studio being like what are they spending our money on and then just doing it too much like too much of the improvisation um, yeah but then i found then i read an article today that they were they were they were <laughs> there's some kind of like modeling of the han solo character after Jim Carrey's Ace Ventura character. I saw that. Yeah. What? Really? So I don't know how much I don't know how much validity the article actually has. I wish I had it in front of me actually right now. But it was basically like, yeah, they were taking it like to a far more comedic route and um what's his name? Aiden Aaron Reich. Is that his name? Did I say it right the first time? I don't think I, I did. Have, I have no idea. <laughs> that's that's Han Solo. Anyway, the kid the kid playing Han Solo, yeah. Um apparently was outspoken about uh whether or not this would be good for the character and like maybe there's too much of the joking or joking around on camera and stuff and it's like i don't know but again it's floating through the rumor mill basically that they were taking a much more comedic approach to the character and that being a key reason why it pissed off the story group and then and then also on top of them not just going along with the script hmm yeah, I think that the factor too is that, like you, I think you mentioned this, is that these films aren't an island anymore. I know sequels have been around yeah. forever, but now it's not just sequels; They're it's universes of film, baby. 
it's it's you can't it's just all of a sudden you don't have much wiggle room into a football yeah you don't have much wiggle room in these movies i feel like sadly enough yeah you you, yeah. you, you have to go by that script or you're gonna fuck up like eight other movies in the fucking pipeline yeah. well i mean the thing yeah. too is is like you have you have harrison ford's han solo we all know what to expect from that han solo and like yes he's younger and played by a different dude but you still got you got to have that smirk you got to have that demeanor and if you're like what Stefan was saying about the ace venture thing like i don't want to watch that fucking movie that's not yeah, the han solo i know like <laughs> han solo can wisecrack and like but he's got to be badass right. too you know like, right not, yeah. i don't want to watch that fucking ace venture star wars movie i have no desire to see that you know right um, I don't need a super serious film either after like Rogue One, but you know, I need the character presents himself a certain way and I need the, the actor to embody that. I need the directors to get that. And it doesn't sound like they even got it or they didn't honestly, it doesn't sound like they fucking cared, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. if they were just like, okay, we'll it just, appears we, as we know such. what's good. We made the fucking Lego movie, blah, blah, blah. It's like, eh, let's just calm down. Lego movie guys, calm the fuck down, <laughs> you know? It's yeah. like this is a beloved character to a lot of people, you know. Who knows what the fuck they were doing with Chewie? I don't even want to know. <laughs> yeah, you know, like is he coming he's out of like, like, Chewie's ass? He's probably like or some shit? stumbling, like, stumbling across frame on coconuts and shit. Yeah, I don't know. I just like I, I, I after I heard it, I was just like, all right, cool. I'm glad that this is out of the way. And then I was like, oh, I wonder who they're getting. And it was like Ron Howard. And I was like, that's weird. But I like this choice because. I feel like some of these older dudes who kind of grew up around when Star Wars was happening and they might have known George Lucas or they hang out with George Lucas, I think that's really cool that some of these guys might get a chance to direct their own Star Wars movie. Because, like, I know that Ron Howard's had his name on, like, John Carter and he's, like, a producer on a lot of sci-fi stuff. So I'm kind of excited yeah. to see what he'd do with a sci-fi film because he's, like, not really And he's a company one. man. He's going to clock in and he's going to make a movie and he's going to clock out. <laughs> I mean, he's been that's doing. They hired Ryan Johnson. What? I said that's why they hired Ryan Johnson. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's fine. I mean, if they have a script and they like it, then I trust them. They've made, in my opinion, two really good Star Wars movies. Pablo so. Hidalgo. That's my so dude. you guys are both on board with this sudden change. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it, I think it would have been cool. Like, I, I'm not a big fan of Lego Movie. What was the other thing they did? Is the live action thing you? Twenty Two Jump Street. Uh, yeah, yeah. The t- okay, the, I never saw one. The they did the first one though, good. right? I like that one. But anyway, I th- I think and see where they probably were coming from as filmmakers and like the spontaneity of things. It reminds me of like David Gordon Green on Pineapple Express when they're just trying a bunch of shit to get certain results. And I think in a film with such a huge budget, a big sci-fi action film, it's always nice to know that there's some spontaneity. To that kind of thing but you know it's like this there's this huge emphasis about star wars having like all right if we're gonna dump all this money into it we're gonna or not even money but if we're gonna you know make star wars for the masses for the next like hundred years it's gonna have a solid fucking compartmentalized mythology story whatever you want to call it canon um and and yeah those guys i'm sure they pushed against them which is kind of like admirable and that's probably why they're off because if there was any kind of compromise they would still be working on the film um so it presents a lot of interesting talking points i guess <laughs> it's gonna be interesting to see what jokes are gonna yeah. be kept because they're not yeah. gonna throw away four months of footage yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. My my only thing too is like with Ron Howard, like I like Ron Howard as a director. I think he's better than Spielberg at doing the same game, basically. <laughs> Americana. Um, yeah, yeah, that kind of like yeah he yeah he's like it's a, it's a, just by a little less cheesy than Spielberg. But anyway, um, that would be cool. But you do gotta fear like whether or not that some of that ripping uh, that spontaneity out of it is it going to be like a piece of art or is it just going to be a product is it a twinkie or is it a fucking like crepe <laughs> from france <laughs> oh man i mean I, I think it's like i don't think it has anything to do with like i mean ron howard i mean if it, if the jokes are in the script then they're there you know like he has to shoot it if he's a company man you know <laughs> so I don't know. I just, I just, after I read the Ace Ventura thing and just like seeing, like, I didn't like when I, when I read it, I wasn't like, oh my God, I literally think I'm going to be sitting down watching an Ace Ventura in space movie, you know? But it's just like, I don't know, like, it just, it bugged me because I was like, uh, I want to go watch like a Han Solo, like, I want to see Han Solo, you know? Yeah. It's, and it's... I don't see Han Solo cracking a shit ton of jokes or anything like I saw in Lego Movie or anything like in the Jump right. Street movies. Yeah. Like, that's not the Han Solo I know. And that's why I go watch Star Wars just... movies with characters yeah. I know seemed... in them. It seems too off base from the original yeah. Yeah. idea. Well, they, they, I know, you know people grow emphasis... over time, too. Like, you're from young Han Solo to old Han Solo. This, that character's supposed to go through a bunch of shit, right? Still yeah. maintaining yeah. some levity, but this. I'm a big fan of Ace Ventura, but it does seem a bit off base. Yeah. <laughs> How do you the go from about... fucking Ace Ventura, Jim Carrey to fucking an older, the older Han Solo? How would that right. fucking happen? I think, I think that the, the mis the misconstrued, like uh, the problem is that there's a huge emphasis on Han Solo being like a sarcastic. Being, being an emphasis on a sarcastic Han Solo. Is that what you're saying? And have wait, you're, you're breaking up, man. Sorry, there's an emphasis on Han Solo's character being like sarcastic, and you know that that ends up creating laughs, but also it's not necessarily like the comedic relief. It's not intended to be. You just are kind of like, oh, I'm with this guy. He's fucking. He knows. You know, he knows everything, or he thinks he knows everything. Yeah. So, so I, I think it's a really good thing that hopefully there's some validity behind um, the main actor. I don't want to fuck his name up again. Uh playing Han Solo and maybe standing up for like the the iconic aspect of the character like the thing that makes it so powerful and like his performance to it um but I think yeah maybe it's it's it it was probably easy for the directors to to confuse sarcasm with like comic relief (laughs) and that probably pissed some people off right yeah all right um that's pretty much it for Star Wars uh, moving very on. Interesting news. Yes, very. You don't see this that often. Um, yeah, and it's like it's like it's the first rocky road you've heard about. You know the new Star Wars movies. So so you know, it's a it's an interesting journey to be on with like a massive studio. Like I feel like I'm like all right, I, I understand those decisions. Like well, what the <laughs> fuck do you make that decision for? You know, like it's like being like I don't know, Star Wars. Like what Brent Baker was saying, how how pervasive it is you know it's like i feel like i'm like i i am a little shaken by it is what i'll say i am a little shaken by that news it's interesting i wonder if it, how far it'll push back if if any yeah. the release date you know yeah it'll be fine yeah oh it'll ron howard like, knows how to make a big budget fucking yeah. movie with big actors and shit i'm sure he'll yeah if he has a time frame if he'll you, fucking get that shit done 
It's like this and uh, and the Snyder thing with Joss yeah, Whedon. Yeah. Two things happened this year where with Snyder it wasn't that it wasn't as surprising because that was in post already. So that's that's another thing. But this is like right in the middle of production. That's I don't know. It's hard to explain, but I mean, yeah, I mean that's it. Just in production, there, this never happens. That's all I got to say. I mean, it, it it'd be interesting to be on that set and seeing like what was actually going on, and you know, you want me to do like what? Things. You want me to talk out of my ass? Well, no. Well, I mean, it's like you know. I mean, I wonder how long someone's like. All right, they probably have a vision. I mean, these guys like they got the job for a reason. So it's like you give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, and you're like, oh, let's see what they really want to do, and like. You know, like how long, like maybe the rest of the cast wasn't getting it either, or, you know, like who knows what the fuck was going on on that set, you know? Right. So, I don't know, I, I'm really interested once this movie's out for a couple of years and then someone's going to come and start talking about what actually happened. Because like just now Edgar Wright released why, like what went on with Ant-Man or whatever, <laughs> and I was like, yes, finally. <laughs> was it just restrictions from the studio, basically? <laughs> Well, like, I guess he really wanted to make a Marvel movie, and then they didn't really want to make his Ant-Man movie. So he was just like, mm, I'm not feeling the love, you know? Like, should yeah. be a mutual thing. Like, you know, this is what we signed up for. So, right. And I mean, I get it. It's a big studio movie. But it's like, it's like, you're right, man. Like, the guy can make solid films, you know? Even if you don't like the trilogy, Andrew. <laughs> but, like, you know, at the... The Cornetto. It was just, I, I've always, like, when, you know, I, my favorite thing is, like, when you go back and read about older films, and you're like, oh, my God, like, the two main leads hated each other, and all this shit went on behind the scenes. It's like, you know, several years when we're older, we'll be able to read about, like, what actually happened on the set of the Han Solo movie, you know? So I'm, I'm excited for that moment when that comes, when I can finally know what happened, when, like, Donald Glover's like, let me tell you some shit. Oh man, that's you know? gonna be fucking awesome! I don't care who's directing it. I like the drama. The I like drama. the drama on that thing, man. Plus, it gives us something to talk about. True. I knew as soon as that yeah. that broke, I was like, "That's our top story." <laughs> <laughs> Related news uh, going into DC stuff. Um, <laughs> Lord and Miller reportedly allegedly had meetings to get back on to the flash since leaving the han solo project yeah they need wonderful. a fucking movie now <laughs> this is wonderful it's yeah. like the job was open might as well but they left they left uh, the flash to work on han solo so they're back i don't even know if dc will take them back man i mean they left in pre-production for the flash so it was better but uh <sighs> I don't know, man. I mean, they they were like a top item. I mean, I know you guys don't like them that much, but they they, regardless think, of what you think about them, they're a pretty hot commodity. Yeah. At least they were, and I think that their um, value might have gone down. I'm just speculating. I don't know, but yeah. if you but to, I, to be you know, fired midway like that, you're not having a director makes they fit better on a Flash movie than on a Han Solo movie. Yeah, it's just, yeah. It's destiny, man. It's unfolding before us. I would like for them to do Flash too, but uh, <laughs> it would be better. And maybe yeah. not if they couldn't, whatever. But 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 it seems like you know those the the shifting of whatever. So I'm, I'm I'd say good luck to him because I actually have like some respect for them for you know the the big main the what the the reason was for them leaving just like too much improvisation. I'm like fuck yeah, that's pretty fucking ballsy, you know. Right, but whatever, whatever. 
Yeah, you know what you're signing up for with the job. You knew yeah, what you had to yeah. do. Like, come on, man. It's fuck. Also, it's the same time. It's like, I don't know. Like, all of us sitting around talking right here would kill to fucking direct a Star Wars movie, man. That's Could what you kills even me, fucking man. Imagine, and that kind of bugs me too. Because if you think you're like some hot shit, like you're not hotter than Star Wars. Just let me tell you. Yeah, that's true. And that kind of bugs me. And I mean, um, you know, I mean, I like Twenty One Jump Street. I thought that was a great like re-envisioning of the characters that gagging scene that those two guys do if those guys did that that scene i lost it man i was like killing over i was like this is fucking hilarious but like i don't want to see that movie i don't want to see that in a han solo movie stuff from the lego movie they did i don't want to see that in a han solo movie that's why i was kind of like iffy about it but i was like all right i'll give these guys a shot like maybe this is their chance to like you know show me what they got you know if they can make me believe that this kid that i don't think looks like harrison ford can is Harrison <laughs> Ford? Then fuck yeah, let's do this. But, you know, whatever. Maybe they're just getting high too much. that. It's funny for me because I feel like even though they've ultimately, even though Wonder Woman was great, they've ultimately had worse movies so far. But the DC news, the following their news has been so interesting to me because Marvel's just so, they're so on board most of the time. They got it all together. There's more drama in the DC department. At least for now, they're yeah. you know, Marvel's more or less smooth sailing. Um, moving on, last thing in the DC docket. Um, since Wonder Woman has done very well, it seems like there's this move to uh, add more and more women characters into their movies, which is fine. We do we do we do need more of that. Uh, but yeah. it's, it's like, like oh, now we just shouting it for years. So there, there's there's apparently this is a rumor. Remember rumor mill here, but uh, Supergirl seemingly going to be introduced in Man of Steel two. That was a hot rumor this week. Um, again, I don't know where these things are based on, but that was floating around the internet. And uh, other than that, um, Jenkins officially on for Wonder Woman two. Finally, I don't know why there was any doubt. And Jeff Johns revealed to Variety, which is a legit publication, you know, one of the trades. Uh, said that he's currently co-writing a treatment with Patty Jenkins and uh, he said the goal is to make another great Wonder Woman film and uh, that's basically it Jenkins said that it's time for her to come to America so uh, Wonder Woman's going to be in America in that one so that's it for DC News cool moving on uh, Marvel (laughs) you guys had some things to say about this I think um, Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four reboot to be a film for younger kids, apparently. And one of my notes for this in, the, in my news segment was, uh, I, you know, one of the notes I wrote here is, uh, is it going to be kind of like Shark Boy, and La- Shark Boy and Lava Girl style or what? Uh, when we say young, we mean young. The, they said they said that the movie allegedly revolves around Sue and Reed's kids, the super mart and super powerful Franklin and Valeria. Yeah. Richards, the Human Torch, and the Thing acting as the older, wiser elements of the team. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I was talking to you through Messenger. Franklin about... at one point was the most powerful character in the Marvel Universe, but that sounds dumb. <laughs> I just feel like it's always like, okay, so we have the first two Fantastic Four movies, and those guys are like, what, supposed to be in their 30s, probably? Yeah. I like Jan yeah. Griffith. He was a good... Yeah, no, I like him too. But I like that dude. 
And then you basically did it again with 30-year-olds, but you said they were younger. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, every one of them is, yeah. like, in their 30s. They're, like, going to be 30. And so now they're like, ah, well, that didn't work either. So let's go even younger and make it about their kids. Which is, like, I... I don't know. If I want to watch a Fantastic Four movie, I want to see the Fantastic Four, you know? It's like, I'm down with yeah. introducing something new to it, but, like, let's get a, a solid Fantastic Four film first, you know? Right. Maybe introduce the kids next time, or, you know... They should film. do it as, like, an MCU story and have it set, like, Coney Island, New York, 1948 or something like that, and, like, just have this small story about this group of people... You know what I mean? That fits into this bigger tale. That's how Fantastic Four can exist. Because the thing is that you try, you like, you, with comics and everything, you like in movies, you introduce these characters and you introduce these series, and you're like, oh my God, we got to keep them going because we got to keep making money off of them. That's where you fucked up. You just yeah, got to tell the stories that exist and then let it be. Because there's so many characters, there's so many stories, you're not going to run out. There's probably this push for them to make something completely different since the last one was so bad. Yeah. Apparently. I haven't watched it yet. Maddie enjoyed it. Uh, Maddie enjoyed I it. Like, I like parts of it. Maddie enjoyed it. <laughs> my sister, I, not my sister really liked it, but she doesn't know any. She's like, I know nothing about the Fantastic Four. So like her, through her eyes, she was like, oh, yeah, I enjoyed that movie. And I was like, oh, I get that. I know a little bit about the Fantastic Four, and there's some stuff that I thought was very cool that Josh Trank added, and like whatever the fuck. Like I can't wait till those fucking till he starts talking about that fucking movie. Oh man, you, know? you should have been you should have been listening to Fat Man on Batman. He it got to the point where he wasn't doing just Batman. He just started covering all geek news, and he, he yeah. like the week maybe the week or week and a half before that movie came out, he's interviewing Josh Trank, Kevin Smith is, and they're just he they have like all the like highest expectations in the world yeah i mean it's just fucking beaming wow. and then it he's and there's supposed to be like a second part to the interview and then the movie comes out and then kevin smith records a solo one where he's like look you guys know the deal uh he doesn't want to talk about it it's the the second part might not happen for a while let's just put it that way he said something to that effect so <laughs> it was interesting to follow that drama while it was unfolding, man. Wow. Yeah. They didn't know. They thought they thought they made a good one. Yeah. I mean, there's parts of it that are cool. It's just like I think it falls apart at the end and it like it looks like budget stuff. Like, I don't know, man. Like yeah. they spent too much time with them being apart and then they have to get together to be a team at the very end. And there's like no time for that team building, you know? Yeah. Which is like, that if sucks. anything we've learned from like the Marvel Universe now, like. You need that time, man. You gotta have that team building time. Um, I thought the cast was great for it. You know, uh, I was excited for it. Um, I don't oh, know. Yeah. I was telling Andrew earlier that I think uh, they. I would like to see a Fantastic Four movie where they're older. And I'm thinking like, you know, like I admit, I just throw out names like George Clooney and Tommy Lee Jones, just like older guys that have been doing this. Maybe they've been the Fantastic Four for a while. I don't know. Just like something, like something different. I just don't need an. Sounds like story. what they're doing. What? Yeah, I mean, it sort sounds, of, but I just don't yeah. want the kid element. I just don't want little kids fucking running oh. around. I just want, like... You want the just... dark... I explained yeah. it to Andrew. like, I kind of want Space Cowboys meets, like, Ocean's Eleven or something. Yeah. So, just, like, yeah, these people that cool. aren't superheroes anymore, maybe they've given it up. Who knows? You know, but they gotta be fantastic. I just want to see time. Galactus. Yeah, I mean, me too. 
But but even how, you know what I mean? Like, it's just gonna be CG. Like I could already see it in my mind. I I saw Galactus, no biggie. I mean, <laughs> you know, they like, probably do like gonna, they did yeah. Thanos. So, I mean, it's gotta be like you know what? One thing I liked in Doctor Strange was Dormammu when yeah. they did the demon of it. Like just not like the you you know it's like so computerized, but like the just the design of it and the details of it were nice enough where I was like, oh, that's kind of cool how they fit it into this like. Batman Begins esque kind of movie, you know, it was like really fantastical. It was the only, as far as I know, it was the only non-violent conclusion in yeah. a Marvel film so far as well. He he played a mind game, which was, yeah. I mean, I I thought that was really cool. It's like they kill, playing they kill off Mads Milkison's character. He gets like evaporated. Yeah, you get you get your like blood zombie. your bloodlust gets satiated, but yeah, the main villain. It's kind of like a battle of wits. Or yeah. to try to do that, yeah. Yeah, I that was cool. I appreciate that, actually. You know what? I like Doctor Strange. I, <laughs> never, I probably won't watch it again. ever watch I it again, see. but I, 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 like, I like it for what it is. I think Doctor Strange will shine in, like, his, like, uh, in the, the grander scheme of things when he has to come in to the yeah. film, you know, like. I just want to see Cumberbatch oh, playing dude, chess with Thanos. There's shots of the uh, Sanct- Sanctum Santorum for for Avengers three right now, there 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 was Man. like set set footage. They're going. Doctor Strange is in that motherfucker, you know. Yeah. And Black yeah, Panther as well. It's gonna I mean, be. I can't fucking wait for <laughs> for. I can't wait for the Avengers. Black Panther. Like, they really did get the hooks in. With all <laughs> like Took just thinking long. about what we're talking about now, like. Doctor Strange being probably like on the lower of the totem pole of the Marvel movies, I'm still like, fuck, I'm glad that exists. <laughs> you know, like I'm glad it's there. I'm glad if if I had to watch it that, you know, between between any of the Fast and Furious movies and Doctor Strange, I probably watched Doctor Strange about seven times. Yeah. I think that on that eighth time though, I'd watch a Fast and the Furious movie. I never do it. I won't do it. I oh, can man, never I, do it. I, I can't won't do it. Do it. I don't I care cannot. who likes those movies, but I'm not going to. I've seen one Transformers movie, and I've seen a trailer for a Fast and Furious movie. That's my piece. Nice. Don't do it, man. Don't do it. I, I won't. Watch the Fast I know and my Furious limits. I know where I was stop. I've seen worse, mm. man. There's mm. worse out there. Mm. There's that is true. There. Mm. Mm. But they still suck. I, I believe you, and I agree. But I know where I draw the I line. I mean, I'm not telling I just you to watch know them. If it, where if I draw it's not your thing, the it's line. Not your thing. I'm so glad. I mean, I'll see that newest Transformers movie. I'll rent it for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just can't. I, I can't stand those, man. I won't. Anyway. Last thing on the docket Dude, is uh, HBO. Damon <laughs> Lindelof bringing Watchmen Day to to. Damon Lindelof should not HBO. touch this movie or series. No, get him the fuck away from everything. What was the last thing he did? He fucking wrote Prometheus, dude. Look at that <laughs> right. fucking script to save his life. He's but like. Didn't... Did, He's the guy that like uh, Ridley Scott called in to look over it, and they they're right. like, "Oh, this this other script, this other guy wrote, it's pretty good, but uh, it's too much like Alien." It's like, well, that's what the fuck we wanted. That's what we're <laughs> yeah. trying to fucking get to at this point, and I'm gonna have to watch like four more fucking I movies agree to get Maddie. to that point. I agree. And like, like, I feel like the worst parts of Lost were probably his ideas. It's possible. I concur. And I don't think how he's many a good words are there for? for I don't think agree. I don't think he's a good writer for it. I, you know, I. It'll be interesting. I mean, I'm excited for it, but yeah. like, I hope they set it within the time frame of the comic. I hope it's like a period thing. 
Um, I hope they don't deviate too much for it. I really just you know, want it to be like a note for note. Are there a lot of people even asking you know who, for more Watchmen? I mean, people are like, okay, the movie was polarizing, right, but totally. it wasn't bad. Like, but do we need more? <laughs> you know, I, I just I just don't know who's clamoring for this. Anybody right, at totally. all? No. I mean, four people are making Doctor Manhattan. Maybe you know I what people see how they could get a people lot of looking forward to Manhattan. a yeah, maybe, but people are looking forward to like. I see so much shit about a boost, uh, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold shit movie or series. I see that on the internet all the time. Yeah. But you know what? Watchmen has the fucking recognition, so I guess they're going to make more of that. But it's still like they got that recognition, you know, but nobody's clamoring for it. You know what they're going to do? It's going to be a lot of that before Watchmen shit. Yeah, and I guess. It's, like, it's going to be like building that up for a couple of seasons, and then like the final season will be the Watchmen shot for shot the last season so you're gonna watch all this bullshit with all this other bullshit in it just to watch this final season you guys know what a big thing about the um the, just read the, the fucking graphic novel dc the only thing rebirth the comic se- comic rebirth that yeah, yeah. did new 52 the yeah. one of the big things with rebirth was they finally introduced the watchman universe into regular dc continuity no. right. not even even in no. new 52 Ever since their conception up to New 52, that's they the were way, separate. That's, that's the way of these fucking heroes, man. Everything's got to be connect. Everything's got to have a backstory. Everything's got to be part of canon. I'm surprised it lasted that, that long, word. honestly, man. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the canon, only thing well, that Geekdom is. needs now is more David Hayter. Canon is supposed is originally for religious texts, like the Bible is the canon for Christianity. The Quran, exactly. You know what I mean. We all saw how great that turned out. <laughs> quit with this fucking overarching universes. I feel like Alien Covenant and Prometheus make the first Alien movie slightly not as good. No, I totally disagree with you. That's a fucking bold ass statement. That I would just separate them, man. <laughs> I would just separate the good ones from the bad. That's all you gotta do. I fuck. Fuck all this. Like, why do we need so much fucking backstory? It's nice. It's fun. Like for a minute, you know, it's like a snack. But it's the Grant like, Morrison. We... Well, How much do you need? Nobody's. Nobody's. Me. Yeah. Who there are no tires. About... Who gives a fuck? Yeah. There are no this movies is... anymore. They're just longer, bigger budgeted TV shows, series, canon, all this fucking bullshit. They're nobody. They're like I'm done with movies because they suck. They're great, Until but they suck. Until the Planet of the Apes <laughs> comes out, you know. Right, but this is ice cream and pizza. You know what I mean? Like I'm gonna die. I'm gonna become obese on these these fucking I, these big budgeted ideas. Like anymore, like you don't get a variety of movies. Oh, that was a good crime movie this last year. That was a good adventure movie. No, you get like a ton of superhero movies and anything that tries to encroach in on that, like Ghost in the Shell or something. You know, small that's tried to being a part of this bigger overarching. Like this is part of a comic book. This is part of a like blah blah blah. It's fucking killing cinema. Well, I mean, you get those movies. People just aren't seeing them. <laughs> That's true. It's like That's how many people true. want and saw Arrival? I know how Andrew feels yeah. about it, but you got to pay really for them. Re- I liked Arrival. I saw. I liked it. I did like it. Or like Ex Machina, another really great sci-fi film that came <laughs> out. Like people aren't seeing Life or A Cure for Wellness because yeah. fucking Rotten Tomatoes gives it a, what they think is a rotten review. And Man. you know, the, I gotta say, I'm, I'm, I'm always I look forward to seeing the scores, but more and more, it, it used to be a, very, a big factor in how I watched movies. But more, as time goes along, it's less and less and less. I I can't. Yeah. Just the idea of Rotten Tomatoes. I mean. It's fun to see what a movie gets. Like it's, I like seeing the. I have bloodlust as far as like 
Transformers last night, 15%. Thank you, Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. You know what I mean? But, you know, at the yeah, same totally. time. But you didn't need anyone to tell you that. You saw Transformers 1, you're like, this can't get any better. With my Dude, but here's the thing. My mom my mom was like, that looks like a good movie. Like, I'm going to see that. In the oh, theaters. really? I'm like, mom, yeah. no. These are like these are like traditionally bad films. Like, they're, they're, they are mocked in like. Don't you get it? Circles of anybody who actually well, watches films. And like, you know, like I think of like the normal everyday person. Like, they get sold by fucking Anthony Hopkins voice or whatever. Like. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's you like, know what, what does that say about, about Rotten Tomatoes? Giant robots. That's but it. they're not even there, really. Like they're just—they're still just as clunky as they were from the first movie, and like, I don't know. I mean, there's a whole other argument, but and there's a Bumblebee. They're doing a Bumblebee spinoff. Let me tell you something. I don't give a fuck about Bumblebee. Fuck. I don't give a flying motherfucker. God, if I had to see Bumblebee one more fucking time, I'm gonna kill myself. That's what I'm saying. It's just do it's Optimus just Prime, motherfucker, bit. or do Rodimus Prime? That'd be crazy if they did Rodimus Prime. Listen, but, I'm in it for all like, the Transformers. Who even cares? Like. Bumblebee, I, 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 I just don't. I, he's a Camaro. Ah, you know who gives a fuck? I just don't give a fuck about it'd be Bumblebee. Better if he was a fucking Volkswagen Beetle. It'd be great. That I mean, yes, that's originally what he was. But they've they've made him very popular. But, but like, no one gives these, a fuck about our generation. Us either. super geeks that watch the original, <laughs> we're we're still like ten years after this first film came out. We're like, why is why people focus on Bumblebee so fucking much? I mean, it's about, I don't it's, know. it's Optimus, Optimus and fucking Sam Witwicky. They all suck. Bold statement. Sorry to break the news up. Transformers sucks. No, I'm not. I'm not. Can't get behind you on that one. Can you save the fucking bold statement? We're, all right, we're, are we done with the I'll fucking news? It. Let's go in the fucking bold statements. <laughs> all right, we're officially in bold statements. Go ahead. The only thing cool about Transformers has been the toys. And the... <laughs> the No, 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 no. I'm going to fight you on this one. That 84 animated yeah. movie is fucking killer. You it's know, so good. It's it's not terrible. I I enjoy that as well. I'm not gonna say I'm not. And I love the concept of it all. But then that after that first Michael it's Bay movie, package, it really I feel like I really saw like the veil be stripped away. I'm like, oh my god, like Transformers is actually dumb. Like you hand it to the wait when you watch the Michael Bay one type of filmmaker, huh? The Michael Bay one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, but you, you hand it to, to like the dumbest type of filmmaker and like but even then even then they couldn't like like how is any of that it, it, it all made me think about transformers and like how is any of it interesting like these you know like robots that are turning in and, and out of cars you know like the only way you could do it in any sense is like with a bunch of cg right maybe it's a design thing but i just don't feel like you can lend any real okay. like life I mean, to these kind of characters and i don't think they're that interesting well there's there there you could do like an iron giant kind of thing or a sentient robot type of deal uh you know hold, okay i here let me tell you something i'm at i i just i just you said that like there can't be any good stories but i remember i looked this up one time and i look and i got it in front of me right now i'm at ign's top five transformers comics yeah. i'm gonna read you a really good idea for for an idea for a movie that they could do. It's called uh, Transformers: Last Stand of the Wreckers, and it says uh -huh. the premise of this series 
is pretty straightforward. The Autobots' resident Black Ops crew, the Wreckers, are reassembled in the aftermath of All Hell Megatron. <laughs> They're yes. dispatched to a remote pr prison facility that has been out of communication with both Autobots and Decepticons for years. And what they find there isn't pleasant. Last Stand of the Wreckers is a dark, emotional, often brutal series where our heroes die painfully and often. One of Roche and Roberts' themes in the story is the way heroes can die pointless deaths. That approach allows readers to feel for and identify with the cast in ways that are usually difficult with Transformers stories. No longer are these bots larger than life figures. End quote. If they yeah. did this, I would lose I mean, my fucking mind. It'd be fucking. It would be, be amazing. Okay. I think I like. I think it would be. I'm, all I remember about the cartoons is they were constantly like battling in the desert, and there was like this inner politics. You know, like you never the human world never really touched the Transformers world. That's what I've really disliked in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, you broke up a little after films. a lot of ways. Go again. Uh, oh, like I. It would just always upset me that it wasn't more of like because the cartoons it seemed like there was more of like they were battling against one another, but the human race didn't have any idea of what was going on. Well, okay, when I watched this as a kid, I didn't necessarily actually. Sam Witwicky was the fucking most boring part of it. I just wanted robots boring, blasting each boring other. Boring as fuck. Yeah, yeah, and like, yeah, you want the stories to revolve around the the robots, right? But you're saying you can't identify know, they, with the robot. Like, who gives a fuck about a robot? They, if they made a right. Transformers movie set on Cybertron, we'd all be singing a different tune. I mean, right. I mean, that would be cool. I, I had, think the personality and of feelings Nevada would be had, If they had personality and feelings and emotional arcs and stuff, if they were written like humans, totally, exactly think, like humans, think, you would be fine. If you had some emotional resonance with these characters, the one thing it, it would, it one would work, thing I, think. I really. The one thing I really liked about the cartoons, the Transformer cartoons, it was about it wasn't about the world that they had come into. It was about keeping the war of Cybertron away from Earth as best they could. You know, like most humans didn't ever notice that except for a select few that were like created these bonds with them and that created the emotional content. But they never even touched that. Well, they kind of did, I guess, in the movies, but not in, a, in an inspired kind of way. Right, I feel like I feel like, I mean, when the first movie came out, I remember liking it, the, the first live action one. I remember liking it kind of like a little bit, but then it, it, it felt like everybody around me liked it a lot yeah. more than I did, and I felt yeah, a little weird. Too. It just it felt off because I I, I, just... I had just rebought a few years before that I had rebought the VHS actually of the Transformers uh, movie. And I watched it several times. I, I just the music and the fighting and the, I mean, yes, they they redid yeah. all of that to make Generation Two toys, but it was done in a cool if way. It I mean, looked anything hero, like that, it would have been the main ten hero times dies. better. Optimus Prime fucking dies, and it's fucking epic. And uh, you know that so whole died. like so till died. all till all are one. That whole thing like we'll light our darkest hour. Just lines like that. And the yeah. way they stole from Shakespeare. Look, I fucking love Transformers 84 cartoon movie, but I don't know, yeah. man. It's ten times better than the fucking Michael Bay piece of shit and all the successive horrendous sequels that they've put out since. Yeah. 
But I can see. I mean, yes, they were they were mainly toys first. I mean, the, the American went to a Tokyo toy show and found the toys, and then made they made the cartoon after the toys were made. The only interesting thing about the Transformers is the toys. <laughs> That's your bold statement. There it is. All right. <laughs> I don't really have one this week. And I'm a toy to... guy, so yeah. You know, and every time I pass by new Transformers in the aisle, I'm like, nah, fuck you. It's it's just adapted itself so totally to the to what those big movies have been. The attitude of it, the toys are just like a, a crumbled mess of plastic. You know, they have no dimension to them, no shape. It's just like it's like if you put it together correctly, you're not gonna know that you put it together wrong. <laughs> right. You know, they're pieces of shit, and that's reflectant of my statement and those movies and. I'm just going to say the franchise as a whole until somebody comes along and fucking reinvigorates it with some kind of like soul. Fuck Michael Bay. Sounds like a Santa Cruz job. <laughs> I'm down to take on the challenge. I'll make you feel some shit about a car you never thought you could. They've done this before with Terminator and Iron Giant. You can feel, <laughs> you can feel for robots, you know, but yeah. you just got to you got to Honestly, write them exactly like humans, you know, and get really good voice acting. Well, you have to get to the core of their conflict, you know what I mean? You have to find the emotional context of why it's so important that they battle off the fucking Decepticons. It can't yeah, what, just they be want inter- because, they want oh, that's how, what special, crazy, fucking supernatural alien They want a new planet because they don't have anywhere to live. It's a, I think it's kind of like a land dispute, too. It's it's who wants yeah. to lay claim to Cybertron, essentially. Well, right, The Decepticons yeah. want to make it just like Cybertron was, and the Autobots realize that that's not the answer, that they have to work with humans to right. like coexist to make a... Nobility. So everyone can live together. You know, because thematic Because if you make, uh, if you make uh, the Earth into fucking cybertron humans are gonna fucking die because we're not like that base life form you know and like that's the battle for the most part and there's other shit that the comics have done in some of the video games about like what's actually going on between certain decepticons versus certain autobots and shit like that so there's like a there's a history there it's just like you have a shitty filmmaker like michael bay and fucking people who wrote those fucking scripts or whatever who don't give a shit about that and that's the thing that makes those movies suck because there's like a a rich history there and i think that's like kind of going back to like uh you know like planet of the apes i never thought because i those movies never really did it for me i was just like oh, this is weird yeah. looking. i don't know i'm not into it but now it's, it's like i want to go back i want to go back and watch those just because of like the new ones of someone who gets the subject matter he's dealing with like matt reeves made like i dawn was great i had no hopes for that movie after rise i enjoyed rise a lot but i was like all right whatever i'll watch this dawn I was like, fucking shit, this guy's good. Like, I could just watch monkeys just sign language one another for hours and read subtitles. But. Fuck yeah. Hail Caesar. We gotta get that guy on Transformers. Or, you know, just let somebody who has a good fucking idea, original idea, sort of, fucking make something new, man. Because I'm with you, Stefan, too. Like, I'll watch watch any Alien movie that comes out. It would be so awesome to see... It would be so awesome to see like a rotating shot of a car like transforming slowly before you where you see the car shape, the transformation and the robot all in a whole thing where it's not this big like it could they may as well be made out of Play-Doh. You know what I mean? Like there's a way you could approach this fucking 
franchise that hasn't even been considered that is keeping fans like myself who likes the idea of Transformers but sees none of the merit with the way that I guess the rest of the fucking world sees it. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, America's pretty much said, oh, this movie sucks. And then outside of America, everyone went, this movie's fucking great. I think yeah, America yeah. was on board until like the third one. Yeah. It seemed like the they, fourth, they forgave yeah. two and then third was okay. But then four, oh, there's too many of these that motherfuckers. Be- that being said, I do think that the like the perception of like Americanized films in Asian countries and like the box office like lopsidedness is pretty interesting. Uh, oh, China! I, China! I, for that I applaud over. shitty movies. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see like they're like no that that's a good movie. That's a great fucking movie. Same know? thing happened with the Mummy. I mean, they, the their uh, horror universe, Universal Horror movie universe is going to take off because of China. Mummy, you know, Tom Cruise is still a really big commodity in China. So, yeah, damn, he can sell movies, man. You know? So, I mean, it's, we have to check our ego and like, you know, we're not, we're not, uh, the main decider in, uh, all the movies that ever get made anymore. That's fine. I like, I like the relinquishing of that responsibility. Actually. I mean, if China, In other countries, if the mummy it gets me a new version and maybe a cool version of the creature from the Black Lagoon, then you guys watch whatever the fuck you want. Because <laughs> yeah. after, like after it came out and it did so bad, I was like, "Fuck, we're never yeah. gonna get a new creature movie, man." Like they've done everything else, and like I would love to see a new Wolfman movie or just fucking werewolf movies in general. Not a lot of them. But out of the um, out of the eighties, going back to that for a second, out of the eighties cartoons, um, Transformers were my most favorite ones. I mean, I like Thundercats and He Man, all right, of course. I'll, I'm a, I'm a but G. Transformers was myself. my shit. I like GI Joe, but I don't know, man. I like I like the big robots. I really do. Oh, we know. <laughs> I like the Kung Fu grip. Mm. On my dick. Oh damn! <laughs> Anybody else got a bold statement? Or is that pretty much it? Yeah. I don't know. That was it. We talked a lot about those fucking Transformers movies, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Probably more than we've ever talked in person about them. They upset me. They, like, in a really, like, instinctual kind of way. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it sucks because you feel different from all of your friends that like it. It's like, yeah. what is the... Why, what do you... It just blows my mind. I can't. I just don't. I just don't get it at all. It just makes you. It just makes you realize who you shouldn't lend money to. <laughs> That's, That's your barometer. That yeah. <laughs> yeah, like when you give Andrew money to go see a great sci-fi movie and then he hates it. I no. I like the movie. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, <sighs> I know people that like. Fast and the Furious and Transformers, and I don't trust them, and I wouldn't lend them money. For me, it's just like, well, well what? Apologize. You, you see, you see the reasons that they go see film. You, they're not seeing it for characters. They don't see movies for characters. They could get. They don't give a fuck yeah. about characters. Yeah. It's about just, I, I mean, guess, it action and stuff. Di- yeah, it speaks to a whole different probably issue, like just like an escapist kind of like stress relief, which I totally understand. Yeah. But there's a higher quality version of what that is, what you're seeking, than 
these kind of movies. Anything starring Vin Diesel, you know what I mean? Like pretty much anything starring Michelle Pitch, Rodriguez or directed Pitch by Black Michael Bay. Pitchback was good, but that's because of what's yes. her name? Right <laughs> her name. Damn it! Rod Mitchell. That's Toby. my girl. Anyway, uh, I don't know anyway, okay, not everything that Vin Diesel was in because Iron Giant was great, but you know what I mean? There's certain, there's a certain level of quality you can see within trailers of movies, and there's a certain type of person that is is acquainted with that sentiment somehow in a like very intimate way that I don't relate to. So I'm just like, okay, you're that type of person. Mad respect, do your thing, but. I will never sit there and argue the merits of a fucking Fast and the Furious movie with somebody who's trying to convince me that it's like a good film series because I will never believe you. And maybe I'm just that other type of person. And if that's elitist, then I'm sorry. I will die alone and that's okay. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we all die alone, bro. But you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Fuck those movies. You. It's just like, you know, there's we don't have a lot of time in this life, so why waste it on the fucking Teds of this world? Why waste it on the Fast and Furiouses and fucking Transformers and fucking... What was that other fucking movie that came out? Kong. Hello, my friends. This is Neater. I'm on speaking on behalf of the House podcast, and uh, this was episode 77. Hope you enjoyed it, and... Uh, be sure to check out all of our other podcasts and interesting things that uh, they got going. And, uh, you know, Neater likes metal, so, you know, listen to the metal. This is Stefan from the Superhouse Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Patreon, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and any other godforsaken social media outlet that we that we should be floating on we are basically on all social media <laughs> yeah, all social media mainly facebook and twitter and patreon check out the links in the description we have uh, a lot of uh cool goals uh set up on our patreon like if you donate a dollar you'll be able to uh give us a topic for us to talk about and that's we'll talk dope. about for maybe an hour or more who knows yeah. how long it'll take and that's pretty tight <laughs> that's the coolest thing <laughs> wait we're on the internet that's pretty good <laughs> if you and don't... we can make money <laughs> what <laughs> if you donate a thousand dollars you get full frontal nudes we haven't set that up but it's a possibility if you give us a grant who knows what'll happen check us out <laughs> I'll do that <laughs> I'll do that <laughs> You get to go on a date with one of us for $10,000. <laughs> but you pay for everything. <laughs> you get to have your way with Maddie for $20,000. I'm a for a $30,000 will help you hide a body. Check out our Patreon. <laughs> Superhouse Gigolo Project 2017. <laughs> Links in the description. <laughs>